This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash GOT or text GOT to 500-500 to begin. This podcast is sponsored by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero plus. Visit Eero.com slash GOT and at checkout enter promo code GOT. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Uh, it's the only podcast that the Double Ds do not want you to hear. Uh, we're talking about Season 8, Episode 5, titled The Bells, today. Uh, Aaron, I, I've i seen this episode more times than I care to count mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, after seeing it numerous times, what's, what's your opinion? I mean... Uh, so I'm not as angry as I was. Um, I think I'm allowed to have an emotional reaction. Uh, if that's you, the instant take, the instant yeah. take. And if you recall, like when I talked about the first time I came across a red wedding in the books, even though I was kind of semi spoiled, that's the reason I started reading the books is because I got some jackass on Reddit spoiled me for the red wedding. I didn't know the full details. When I got to that point in the book, I had to put the book down for like, two weeks because i was so fucking pissed and outraged by it and 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 that i felt like everything tracked in retrospect but that was just my emotional reaction i'm a fan i love the show i love the characters and when one of the heroes turns into a supervillain, i think i'm allowed to have an emotional reaction to that just purely off the bat but i also think that um they didn't tell the story particularly well I think that the stuff with Jamie is still beyond perplexing to me. Uh, and then you mix in a healthy dose of Euron and some dodgy, uh, pl- you know, just, just mechanics and, and tactics and stuff like that. It is, I'm still disappointed. I'm not like fired up and angry. Um, Although I, we may get there by the end of this episode, yeah, I don't no, know, no, because I'm talking gonna, about it, I'm gonna stir, tr- stir some shit up. I'll say I'm gonna try to be, I'm gonna try to be funnier and not as angry. But but here's the thing: like I think a lot of people also came at us kind of crazy. Um, mm. I would say that our mailbag was roughly split in 33 percentiles of people that love this episode uh, and don't see any problems with it and think that everyone that does is a bunch of uh, you know mumpty heads. I think there's about a solid third of people that are like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't. It, it's fine where they're going to Danny, but I don't think they quite got there. I can see both sides, and then there's some people that just hate everything about it. Um, and I, if you're going to argue with us, I'm going to speak for myself, and, and you can agree or disagree, Jim. But like, at least argue with the point that I'm actually making. Yes, I did not see Danny turning to the dark, so I didn't think that they would actually go through with that. Um, uh, it's not like my my first choice of how this Game of Thrones should be resolved, um, but I'm open to like I I am open to the fact that this has been foreshadowed. Like they've done a yeah, good job absolutely. of making it to where, in hindsight, Danny's turn to the dark side is kind of in is kind of inevitable. But I do think they were missing a piece or two, and I also think that the people that are saying that was completely perfectly foreshadowed are giving a lot of credence to the stuff that they kind of 
shoehorned in this season. Like they're taking a lot of the things that she said mm-hmm. and a lot of statements she made. And, uh, and, and the other thing is like, I also just didn't buy Danny and John's relationship falling apart. Uh, uh, the, the trouble is, and my girlfriend said this while we were watching it uh, for the first time, uh, or at least her for the first time yesterday, she never bought Danny and John. Right. Like they never sold the love story. Yeah. And so they couldn't sell the breakup story. Right. Right. The, yeah. the true betrayal there. Yeah. So And I agree with her. Yeah. So it's like it's 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 I, I'm not I'm not saying that I don't like this because I don't think that Danny's turn to the dark side is is valid. I think that's, you know, a very George Martin thing to do. It's just I don't think they told the job particularly well and they made a whole lot of unforced errors along the way. So like mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I think even the people that just love this episode unreservedly reservedly have to admit that turning one of the top two heroes in the game into a villain is something that you have to really sit up straight and dot all your I's and cross all your T's to have the fan base to kind of just go along with it um, and have it feel like it's set and, you know, not satisfying, but inevitable in the same way that the Red Wedding is. Mm-hmm. And I, when we get to this point in the episode, I kind of want to contra- compare and contrast the Red Wedding to this thing with Danny. Maybe people agree with me, maybe people won't. But um, I don't know. I just hope to be a little bit less obnoxious discussing it, I guess, because I'm trying to <laughs> persuade people, you know? Yeah, I think necessarily um, we, we will be, um, but, simply because we have more time. Like, like time has tempered my anger. Time has not tempered my opinion right. or my disappointment. And the other thing is, like, a lot of people's evidence that they cited to show that Danny is got this mad king, mad queen stuff in her is things that, like, I just fundamentally disagree with the, the analysis and the context. Like, she locked Zaran's on duck sauce in a vault. Well... Yeah, but he did her real dirty. And mm. like this story is full of heroes like beheading people that betray him. Like this is a medieval like that's that's I mean it starts off justice, with Ned delivering justice, justice right? Danny be, le- lied to and burnt all the mass slave masters in Astapor. But they're fucking slave I mean they were des- Who they were essentially <laughs> yeah, SOC and Nazis. Uh-huh. Like you're you can kill an unlimited amount of them and no one feels sorry for them. Season four, Danny executes hundreds of Miranese noblemen, some of whom later turned out to be innocent. I mean, there's lots of studies that suggest between two and four percent of the people on death row are completely innocent. And yet every governor that I'm aware of in the union still supports uh capital punishment. I would be shocked to learn that the governor of Colorado raised a city to the ground full of innocent people. <laughs> like you can, there are like, and, and the, the thing is, is like, she's never crossed a line of killing innocent people and to do so on the crux of getting everything that she wants. Just that's not the straw that broke the dragon's back to me. Yeah. That's not, they, they didn't do a good job of, of portraying Danny as, as, as crazy. I think there's some people that, the, the closest that people come to the mark is, is trying to paint her as someone that's just very traumatized. Um, and that she, but... And, and, I, I think there's a lot of, of um, credence to lend to the idea that she is power-obsessed in right. some ways. I think, right. like, her her main focus, while while it is also freeing slaves and, and breaking the wheel mm-hmm. and, like, all of the things that she says about, you know, breaker of chains... That many of her titles are positive, but the other thing she is, is she is power hungry. She right. believes that this is her destiny, her right. And I agree with that. I simply don't think they told the story well enough. Yeah. 
And I think that also you've got a, a little bit of a problem that the show tends to want to hop on like modern sensibilities and then medieval sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I feel like is happening in this last season or two of justification is we are going to just suddenly apply modern day sensibilities to like Danny's actions to paint it out to paint them to be evil when you know like with the the tarleys yeah like executing like people by dragon without any kind of due process or 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 this is is shocking but honestly you also have the leader of an army and you offer them a chance to surrender and they don't take it and then they're executed i I think there are other solutions there that are less violent um that are potentially more diplomatically appropriate right but but so so i think she is a little a little you know, right? Wrong in that case. But but Rob beheaded the Carstarks. He wasn't portrayed as crazy. Sure. Like John beheaded uh, Jano Slint. He wasn't portrayed as crazy. Jo- John hung all of the Black Brothers. Who, you know, we talked about in the episode. Like when he did that, he hung all the mutineers. It's not that the mutineers didn't have a point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that like that's you 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 went against the king and you missed and you that, that, like once you commit that level of treason, you're dead. Like. But now it's like yeah. suddenly we want to say that Danny's like, oh, well, this is just because Tyrion said it, just because Varys said it, like that this is. I mean, there's a whole lot of like uh, them telling us that Danny was doing this, and we should feel a certain way. And I guess I just never was buying it. No, and I mean that's the problem, the the fundamental problem with John and Danny's relationship, and how this betrayal yeah. can't really be such because I never felt the the connection. They never yeah. showed me that John and Danny loved each other. Yeah. If if banging on a boat mm-hmm. equals love then the dude who put on the fire festival loves a lot of instagram models <laughs> like what the, well, and that is fair, not love right that is yeah. that is something that could be entirely separate from love they never showed me those key things also, and jamie so when banged, this betrayal happens jamie banged brienne so i guess they're true blue and love. they love each other yeah uh, uh, so uh, what an asshole um yeah i that's the thing they never set those pieces up quite right for me to believe this yeah. and Unfortunately, in retrospect, I think that makes some of those episodes worse, especially last episode, because, you know, we were talking about Jamie and how, you know, we we absolutely do not believe that he's returning to Cersei. Everything in his arc has been pointing toward redemption. Everything right. has been pointing toward him going back to deal with this problem, which is Cersei. So and they subverted the expectations. But in, in the process, they turned his arc into a circle. It, like that's and, not and a one cur- that does not make sense either yeah. because the other half of Jamie is very much for the innocents and yes. and that's the thing. and there's yes. a line in this episode that yes. has no business being in yeah. there, uh, which we'll talk about in yeah, context we're, of the we're scene. Dangerous but, spoiling our own podcast. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's that's the problem is yeah. that they fundamentally and this is why in the instant take and I still believe this uh-huh. firmly and I think it bears out in the reviews of this episode, uh-huh. this is the worst Game of Thrones episode, in my opinion, because it undercuts characters so viciously. And we've never had this opportunity for an episode to let us down so yeah. so badly. And, because and, we and, now have eight years of history with these characters, right. and to undercut all of that history, to simply right. do something shocking, right. is completely dissatisfying in the worst way possible yeah and like that's just that's your subjective opinion true yeah but if you look at rotten tomatoes it, it is, has a 49 percent. it is literally the worst rated episode of game of thrones by a pretty ever. good margin and you know some of that uh, yeah to, last episode was yeah was with like 50 something 53 mm-hmm. uh but those two are very far down the list yeah and, and like i said you know i think the opinions are going to moderate somewhat like 
depending on how the next I, episode yeah. goes, like I think because the other thing is, I think the first half of this episode really worked for me. And I think the second half, if you buy that Danny just fucking went crazy, works actually very beautifully. Um, none of the stuff with Jamie and Cersei quite worked for me. I got a little bit of problems with stuff with Arya, but like that's the thing is like hmm. the two halves I don't think connected. You needed one more thing, and then like I'm all on board. And again, you can disagree with us, but like there is, I, I, I who knows? The, the coin flip is still, I guess, in the air about where the Phantom's going to come down. Like a, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, ten years from now. But it feels like the preponderance of fans, uh, they they didn't they didn't do enough to to tell the story, and people are mad about it. And they're not mad in the same way they were mad about the red wedding, about uh, uh, about the red me- the red wedding makes perfect sense. Uh, about Ned being beheaded, about uh, Oberyn uh, getting his head smashed in. They're not upset in that way. They're huh. upset because unlike all those events, this didn't feel inevitable. No, this and felt this felt like, very shortcutted. Yeah, uh, it, it felt. Like, they simply wanted to be done with this. And that's different from saying that it wasn't for... Because, like, foreshadowing and yeah. character development are different. You know, I, they're I agree. two different distinct things. So we'll try to keep that we've, in mind as we... We've said a lot of bad about this episode so far. Let me say some good. Yes. Because there is a lot to like about this episode. Yes. Uh, outside of, of the characters uh, in general. I think the acting is amazing. Even characters like Jamie, who I think are fundamentally undercut in this episode... Uh, do an incredible job mm-hmm. portraying the emotions that they want them to portray. And and I'll say that, like, I think, um, I mean, I don't know, because I'm guessing people's motivations, which is dangerous, but at least I'm going to try. Uh, uh, I think that a lot of people saying that this worked for them are saying that, like, all of the just amazing filmmaking and all levels. Yeah. Uh, did enough to to just 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 to, to win them over because it, it damn near d- d- does it for me. Like um, I don't think that Jamie and Cersei went out in a way that I think honors their character arcs, but their last scene is pretty fucking just standalone beautiful. Um, I don't think that like Danny's fault. Beautiful, of, but so heartless because yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. I, I don't think that Sappy yeah, King's Landing necessarily followed, but it was executed gorgeously. And there's a lot of really powerful yeah. points about what war does to people, and um, and also now that I've seen it a couple times, there ain't nothing wrong with this Clegane Bowl. No, this is the Clegane. This Clegane Bowl is as good as any we could possibly hope for. And, and this is it's and so, it's flawless. It's the so flawless part satisfying. of the episode. It's the most satisfying thing in the episode, simply because mm-hmm. everything about the character led here. Everything tracks. Yeah, and it's what we and it's it's. Um, I mean, it's, and it's not necessarily what I think people wanted because, like, what I wanted was the Hound to win and then finally find peace, or like to be left in a point where he kind of wonders now what. Like, kind of like, I guess, uh, you know, Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride is like, I've been in the Avengers game, all, and now I don't know what happened. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe someone can suggest piracy. Maybe he can be the new Lord of the, the Iron Islands. But, like, it, it wasn't necessarily the ending or how I thought the Clegane Bowl would go, but holy shit, there's nothing. I can't argue with a thing about how they executed it. Yeah, I, I mean, the cool thing about it is maybe it's not the ending for the hound that you wanted but i think it's the ending that the hound wanted yeah for the hound like yeah, yeah, yeah. and rory McCann, i think the two very things that he wants most in his life are to kill the mountain and to yeah. die yeah because yeah. he doesn't see himself having a place in the yeah. world after that 
and a goal that he discovered along the way, which is saving Arya. Um, yeah, he accomplishes sure the scene before. That, but that was a great beat for his character, for sure. I thought so. Yeah, uh, those moments are excellent. I think there's some excellent stuff between uh, Tyrion and Varys, Tyrion and Jaime. Yep. All of those moments hit really well emotionally. I thought, actually, uh, Amelia Clark, who I've been critical sometimes with these very strong emotions, did her damnedest to yeah. sell a person just having a psychotic break over nothing. Mm. Um, especially when you think of that she did this performance in a giant green box with no other actor with her riding a green mechanical bull. Yeah. Uh, That's impressive. The acting is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The music. I mean, you know, how can you take anything away from Ramin? He's he's incredible. He's done some of the best work in... uh, I I wanted to say television scores, but I'm going to say scores, period, since John Williams. Like... He is redefining a generation of of music on film. Yeah, uh, and this episode is no exception. I think every every single person on this effects team deserves an award. Yeah, and and like in the win- Battle of Winterfell, there was no dense fog and so there right. was smoke, but, but like, there was, but it worked. It was lit, and like yes, I, and and like uh, the ex the nighttime execution scene of Varys was lit beautifully and amazingly, mm-hmm. and like I just felt like the use of light and dark was so much better in this episode because they didn't have to shrug every shroud everything with fog like when it was shrouded to fog it was for a particular purpose and it lasted just long enough for that to accomplish that purpose it's tough on the because the whole the whole reason that was happening about winterfell is so this night king could deny the early aerial superiority which would have toasted him right because if nothing else this this episode shows just how unstoppable these dragons are when they're allowed to just uncork yeah and then the final thing i want to give it up for is the makeup department. Uh, I, I can't tell you how amazing Arya's face by the end of this thing looks. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, people are making a big deal about the pale horse uh, oh. and the rider death. And it, like I, the, the, the envisioning of that particular idea is just perfect. Mm-hmm. The, the, the attention to detail, like the way that the blood streaks across her face sideways because she was laying on her side yeah. and, and how the the dust covers the the rest of it. And she almost looks, I mean, she does look otherworldly. This whole mm-hmm. landscape looks otherworldly mm-hmm. and she matches and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, like uh, all of the battle sequences were done so well, so much. Like I've, uh, some of the, I've, I mean, I've seen so many f- fucking battles. I've seen so many medieval battles, but this one managed to show me a couple things I had never seen before. Dude, the, the gore, when it first starts the up, gore. I've never seen a more gruesome depiction of a sword battle. Yeah. Uh, and, and it made perfect sense. Like yeah. when, when somebody puts a sword through you, yeah, it's, you know, it's not going to stop at, at your neck right it, it might it might actually go a foot into you right and, and take out half your body like that's just a force of these things and that's butchery that's it, butchery yeah it, it's amazing amazing from yeah. from a visual effects i, I and I, i'm like i wish i was on the same page as everyone because like i get it if you can get over the hurdle if you buy danny's fall then this i i can see yeah. why this is like a Best a episode. episode. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Although I do think that even if you buy that, there's other problems, and some of it are just like, oh yeah. But but if you can get over all those... throughout this whole season and going back to last season, yeah. And retroactively, I think it it makes those things more glaring. But yeah, yeah. I, there there's a lot to like about this episode. However, I think it's marred entirely by some some really just selling short in the writing. Sure. 
We've talked for a very long time. Should we get into the recap? We should, yes. Okay, before we get into the episode proper, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, Tomorrow on the Bald Move TV feed, we're doing a standalone review of the second episode of Chernobyl, which, if you thought this episode was a disaster, let me tell you, it's got nothing on a nuclear reactor cooking off. Uh, so, so check out the Bald Move TV feed. You can find that on any podcast app by just searching Bald Move TV. Uh, I declare hashtag fan bankruptcy still in the merch store, merch.baldmove.com. And it's not too late, I hear. Not too late to declare bankruptcy and, uh, and, and save the season for the last episode. Wednesday, we're deploying our penultimate Super Serious Film Fest Fantasy Edition as we discuss the movie Excalibur. Uh, there's an enhanced podcast at youtube.com slash bald move. Uh, there is a live watch for club members. And if you subscribe to the movies feed, the bald movies feed, you can get the podcast. And you'll want to do that because we're also going to be reviewing John Wick 3 next week as well. Parabellum, the final chapter into John Wick saga. Uh, tomorrow on twitch.tv slash bald move, Cecily and I are going to be co-oping, if you can call it that, some Mario World 3D and next Tuesday, something fun for Game of Thrones fans, Jim and I, immediately after recording the final Game of Thrones podcast, are going to be getting on Twitch to play some of this browser. What's the, what's the name of that game? It's a browser-based uh, Game of Thrones game. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Uh, we're going to mess around with that uh, for a couple hours, and then uh, we'll also be debuting the... We, we did this a long time ago, but it's, uh, it was a club mem- feature. This is going to be available for everybody. Uh, we played through all of the Telltale Game of Thrones and had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. We play as bad guy Forrester, which yeah, is a lot we, of fun. Yeah, we really try to run House Forrester into the ground and pretty much managed to do so. Uh, Godsofthrones.com, we're having a... Uh, Mm, not sure how we feel about this episode sale. Both volumes are 25% off. You can go to godsofthrones.com to get the links for those. Also, don't forget, we got a free preview chapter uh, that you can peruse at your leisure. Pin-Y.com. We're we're out of this house snow pins, but we still have Stairwood, uh, the brand's face on a weirwood pin. It's very cool, very enamel, very penny at pin-Y.com. And finally, Friday for Bald Move TV, uh, we, we've got uh, just a bevy of new shows we're going to be covering. Uh, so again, you want to ch- you'll, you'll want to check that out. That's it at baldmove.com. Okay. Well, we start off with Varys writing a letter uh, detailing John's claim to the throne. One of his spies walks in and tells him that the soldiers are watching her, and she's very nervous. And there's there's an interesting thread here uh, in this scene where, if you didn't notice. It seems like Varys is trying to poison Danny. Yeah, I, I thought that like they when I first watched this episode, I thought like, hmm, I'm not sure if they, they gave Varys due justice. And I Varys is in a very desperate position, but yeah. now I've seen it a couple of times, it seems obvious that like Varys was pulling every fucking stop he could. He had found a he was, network yeah. of little birds, he was actively trying to poison her. If um, Yeah, let's let's lay out the case. You know, yeah. there's there's the this girl walks in and she's uh you know she's being watched by the guards uh Varys says you know with great risk comes great reward right she's not uh, it, what would it. that have to do with feeding the queen right did it work no she's not eating anything right she oh we'll try again at supper exactly uh a, a lot of veiling of the true intention here which i think is Varys's sure. way and it makes perfect sense uh in, in hindsight so i i like this scene and i like what they did with Varys a lot more after sure. second and third and maybe fourth viewings yeah <laughs> uh so then Varys goes down to the beach and he tells John that Danny will make a bad queen and John is actually the better choice. 
Uh, he practically begs him to step up and be the king that the realm needs, and John refuses. Yeah, and I thought, like, in first, like, is Varys pushing too hard? But, like, now that I properly understand that first scene, I think that this is just Varys in full desperation. Like, he tries the yeah. riddle of power with John. It just doesn't work. Like, he is in a situation where I think, and, you know, the episode proves him correct. He sees these very worrisome and dangerous trends for Danny, but because there's also just as much evidence that she's the, sa- you know, the co-savior of mankind, uh, people you know like especially john just isn't going to want to see it like john is not the guy who is going to soberly evaluate his claim to the throne against his rival lover aunt's claim and also her strange but like again all this stuff was understandable like nobody like it's it's something that maybe is worrisome but you could always like well it's this that like it was not like Wow, Danny killed a lot of innocent people uh, for no justification. Uh, we should have seen her killing tens of thousands of people. Um, and I think this scene is even better than I first gave it credit for. After watching yes. it a few times, I realized <laughs> he's when he says this line, this riddle to John about flipping a coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking to a Targaryen. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> he, he's openly out there telling telling John, "I know your secret." Yeah. Uh, John doesn't think that he could know his secret. He's tickling the dragon's tail here. Yeah. Just ju- I, I, literally, <laughs> I think literally he's tickling the dragon's tail. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's just so much more delicious when you think, oh, John is Targaryen. He's talking about the madness of the Targaryens. Right. He knows where John's coin has landed, which is another right. tip off. Not right. sure about Daenerys. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but seeing all of this happen. Uh, Tyrion goes to Danny, who's looking pretty bad, having not eaten in a long time. Uh, are you familiar with Jenny Nicholson's work? Uh-huh. She, she does. Yeah. She did. Did you see? She posted like a six-minute video in the style of, of a t- yeah of like a YouTube apology video where she was Daenerys, and so I just want to I want to talk about all the stuff that's been going on, and it's really <laughs> I didn't she, see it, but she does. She's made up just like a uh, a woman on YouTube that's tr- that's that's fucked up. And is trying to apologize. Desperate is losing millions of fans a day, and she's trying to apologize for it. Nice. Um, I, I, I really, I yeah. Everybody, check check Jenny Nicholson's channel out. She's she's great. Uh, so uh, Tyrion tells her that Varys has betrayed her, which she didn't she didn't actually know, but she deduces you know how that happened. And Danny's really pissed that Tyrion's been spreading that secret. And this is great. How she, claim. She's got Ver- she's got Tyrion dead to rights. Like, you know, she trusted yeah, yeah she trusted you to it. do her dirty work for her. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, Sansa was trying to do dirty work. You know, we we that's one of the things we've been lamenting, not in a bad way, but like Sansa's trying to play this game and it's 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 feeding all of Danny's worst uh her worst intentions and her worst uh proclivities and her worst fears uh and it's unfortunate but like all this stuff so far working really well for me yeah i will say i'm a little disappointed um retroactively in what they've done with Tyrion. now that varus is gone yes i don't think there's opportunity and, and now that danny has blown up king's landing there's no opportunity here for Tyrion to, to be distinguish himself yeah. to, to be Tyrion, mm-hmm. uh the the Tyrion that we loved from seasons ago because he didn't even really engineer the bell ring and, no i mean i mean Tyrion has done nothing but fuck up in mm-hmm. the last three seasons yeah and like he, he i was thinking back to it he really hasn't done anything exciting or powerful or interesting since he tried him, to, to he tried to negotiate a truce between say, he let the, the, dragons, the masters he let the dragons out of the dungeon 
Okay. And tried to negotiate a truce with the masses, yeah. which just made him look like a fucking idiot for in front of Danny because Danny came back and quit, you know. Yeah, but I think put he, an end to all that. But, but I think he was very smart in what he was trying sure. to do. He understood the scenario, and that's what I always loved about Tyrion. He didn't have dragon mastery. Like he, yeah. he was doing the best he could to save her kingdom, and uh, and yeah. So, but but from that point on, which is that's er, late season five, early season yes. six. Yes, he hasn't had a win, not a not. single win, and all of his loses are bound up with like what what looks like apparent loyalty to the Lannisters, which. <laughs> After this episode, I gotta feel like that that Tyrion's more on Team Lannister than he is Team Danny. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with that concept uh, because it, Varys is so for the realm that mm-hmm. I almost wonder if a little bit of that didn't rub off on Tyrion, mm-hmm. and that Tyrion is is yes letting Cersei escape, but also more importantly doing it for the the people in King's Landing. Right. It's 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 kind of a coin toss for me, yeah. and I'm not sure where it comes down on. Yeah. Uh, so Varys is taken to the beach and he's burned alive whoa, with whoa, dragon wait, fire. Okay, can we talk about his arrest? Okay, because yeah. I really like the detail of him taking off his jewels, but I don't know why. Yeah. So I think this is to tell the audience that he knows. Well, yeah, what's it's, up. it's kind of like you know, like when in Ocean's Eleven, when Danny Ocean gets like arrested, if he starts like taking off his shoes and like, or it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is like, like there's something here is like if like he puts his hand the, behind his head right yeah like, like very yeah he's like i'm yeah it's like uh right in the fifth element when bruce will like the the cops are sweeping the building and he just gets against them and puts his hands on the circles like right. there's something like Varys is an insider and he, like he, it, like this isn't like when um the the old maester whose name is slipping my name well, who's the old pycelle yeah like when pycelle got and he's just oh this is like Varys knows the score he's taking it i'm not sure why he's doing any of this but it feels like a guy who knows the score and knows the routine and knows what's going to happen to him yep. and he's just preparing himself now it's a nice touch. Before we move on to his his trial and conviction and execution. <laughs> Tri- oh, trial, huh? Can we talk about what is the damage that he's done here? Because for the life of me, I don't know who he's sending these obvious raven messages to. The I don't Prince think we're, of suppo- Dorn? we're supposed to, yeah. Like I think that will be revealed next episode. Yeah. And I I I just I, just, I don't yeah, I I I I wonder like cuz cuz it just doesn't seem like there's enough functional Westeros left to you know like like people are either going to back john or i I don't know i'm just wondering i know he was sending ravens obviously they were saying that you know john is the true he's actually aegon targaryen and he's the true heir and he's got a better claim which you know but it it does seem like there's already enough this episode provides enough evidence that like john and davos and Tyrion have to join up and take danny down a hundred percent yeah like so yeah, there, there's no alternative. All right. um, so maybe Varys just dies just to give you know just just to uh, give Tyrion a little bit of conviction and backbone. I mean, I think he's he's definitely sending letters. I just don't like he gets sent him to the Vale. He gets sent him to Dorne. He gets sent him to Yara. Maybe like yeah. there, there's not. You're right. There's not a lot of Westeros like left. Po- I think we're supposed to understand like the poison scheme. It's not going to work, but maybe it will give some people like, like a, a little bit of a stiff, a little bit of a stiff a spine that they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. Because look at Varys. He risked all 
to try to you know and he was ultimately right and and I, the way they played this about him like i sincerely hope i'm wrong i i totally bought that from barris yeah that moment between him and Tyrion is like this is a guy who's going to death and he doesn't beg and he doesn't plead he's not like a little finger because all he does what happens mm-hmm. to him is not as important as what happens to the realm and yeah. i have for so long because book Varys, i think is a, a different beast um, he might be a little bit more tricksy, but show Varys, I think, has been true blue the whole time. Like I came from yeah. nothing. I'm looking out for I'm looking after the little guy the way I wish someone had looked out after me. Mm-hmm. And he died the way he lived, and I thought that's a, a great end for his character. I, I also like this scene again, fucking beautiful. The the way mm-hmm. it was shot, the way it was lit, the way Drogon slowly emerges from the inky blackness, the fire glinting in his eyes. The um, moment they give it between Dracarys and actually burning. But Varys. here's the point: like John side eyes Danny. Uh huh. But tell me how this execution is any different than Ned killing the deserter in season one. It is no. Like, different. how do you not? Kill this is exactly Varys. what John would have done in the situation. Yeah, the fact like is he squeamish because she fed him to a dragon? Because like I promise you, <laughs> Varys's death is no more. Or yeah, maybe because le- may- she didn't swing the sword. Like, but I think that's the point is like, I, I like, so I don't think you can uh, honestly argue that because her saying Dracarys is her swinging the sword. Like sure. Drogon doesn't burn that guy unless she commands it. So yeah, but if Ned had said, chop this man's head off, I it'd be a little different true. than him picking up the sword and doing it himself. I, but, but I take your point. Like, like that's her weapon. She doesn't have a sword. Right. But, but know? that's, that's kind of my cheeky way of saying this is exactly what Ned would have done, yes. what Ned did do. Yes. This is exactly what John, as an adherent of Ned's philosophy, would have done. So, he would have put this man to death. So to me, just John side-eyeing Danny in this circumstance feels false. I agree. Okay. Much much more so, I think, than the Tarleys, because they're enemy combatants. They could... Sure. Like, and I know John's not there in that moment, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the people side-eyeing her in that moment... Because that's... Kind of have a point. Like, just yeah. take these people prisoner, right? Yeah. And by Westerosi custom, that's what you should do to a person yeah. that won't like because you can ransom them. You can yeah, use them. They're to, valuable. Yeah, there, there's many like, ways. like burning them is just, uh, you know, um, I mean, but you can you can also say that like that's a way like that's an Aegon Targaryen move. Like you either kneel or you die. You sure. know, and this actually, you know, it's it's kind of like the same atomic bomb logic. Like, well, you drop bombs on cities so that you save you, you kill hundreds of thousands to save millions. Um, and I just like again, I just John Side Nine, I mean, it just just did not make sense to me. Yeah. All right, move on to Grey Worm burning Missandei's only possession, which is her former slave collar. Uh, John comes in and he visits Danny, who rakes him over the coals for telling Sansa his secret. Uh, she's very sad that she's not loved by anyone in Westeros, and John says, "Well, that's not true. I love you, and you're my queen." But when she goes to kiss him, he completely withdraws from her, and she takes the hint and decides. That if she can't rule with love, she's going to rule with fear. I wish, first of all, Grey Worm burning Missandei's collar is amazing. Like mm-hmm. his only, her only possession is the slave collar she owned, and this like underscores the whole Dracarys thing. Like I really like that. Um, I also really like Danny's red. Here's the thing, though. I don't understand why this is happening. Like Varys had an opinion that John might not be comfortable boning his aunt because he's from the north and that's the only thing that has served as an explanation for why John would sour on Danny. And I don't know like this is a man who has already broken vows that he saw as extremely important 
This is a person who's discovered the fact that he's a Targaryen. The fact that, like, you're just supposed to intuit that he does can't ha- he can't have a romantic relationship with Danny because she's his aunt who he doesn't think I, I just don't that that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me in this particular world um yeah I'm not sure how I feel about that one I mean like uh, I said I, I don't I, I I could see like you know from a modern standpoint like you find out it's you know this is your aunt sure and but like you know they're I just like I think you're right they both lightly told the story of them falling in love like them falling in love is essentially we're both young attractive and, and idealistic and we also are on each other's level and we've never really met re- anybody like that before do you remember how well they told it with Egret and john sure yeah it they was, took it a was whole so season, much more fleshed a whole out season to go from adversary to to lovers and also yeah. also Egret kind of had like the whole like in her the back of her mind, she kind of saw John slipping away, or she, but she didn't want to believe it. She was blind to that by love. And that actually, is like a season and a half. This thing, it's like they met, they had boat sex, yeah, and then they found out they were related. And like this is like a five episode arc, and it's just that's it's a little fast, and it also sticks in my craw that the double D's were offered by HBO. It's one thing to turn like I don't want to do multiple seasons, but HBO says, "Hey, we'll write a check for ten episodes," and they say we don't need it, and then we get this, yeah. You needed it. You needed I it. think you needed it. You and the fact that this it. is hitting fifty percent of Rotten Tomatoes says at least fifty percent of fandom says you need a little bit more time. Yeah. So I agree. Um keep keep this whole scene in mind because um But but not, if if they had have told like just before we move it, if they had yeah. told this story well, the all right then let it be fear, Amelia Clark fucking nailed yeah. that like dangerously spurned lover. Uh-huh. I I would buy it, certainly. Um, but yeah, keep all of this in mind because we're going to talk later in context with Danny burning the city and in context of Thrones Revealed, um, which is kind of the after show, right. uh, interview with the double D's. There's yeah. a lot in there that I want to delve into that's sort of meta, but sort of like yeah, yeah, reveals yeah. what they were thinking sure. in these scenes. Because we don't get that. And it's that, very important. That's the other thing is we don't get the, we, we don't have to see this just in vacuum. Like we have the no. creators themselves saying what their thought processes were and we can also evaluate things based on that. Yeah. So, so many fans I see are, are saying, okay, this is the moment. This mm-hmm. is the moment where she decides she's going to burn everyone. Right. Uh, and that when she says, okay, let it be fear, that means everyone in King's Landing is dead. And right. I disagree. I and and disagree I have too. a lot of supporting evidence. Yes. And I'll lay it out when we get there. Right. Um, We're about to now, get to the first piece of evidence, I think. Okay, so Tyrion argues his point about sparing the people of King's Landing with Danny. Uh, Danny seems to agree to call off the attack if mm-hmm. Tyrion can get the people to uh, ring the bells and surrender. She even, she nods to Grey Worm, in my mind, indicating acknowledgement that this is the new plan. I, I noticed that there's a lot of people that took a, the, the great exception to our review said that this, like, a lot of people said that this, you're supposed to understand that that nod was her to be like, whatever whatever this guy's saying, you and I understand each other, right, Grey Worm? I don't think that's in the text. It is not. The yeah. way I see it is that she won this last argument Because there's a very long, lingering look at Tyrion mm-hmm. as she's trying to decide, mm-hmm. will I give him one last chance? Right. And she says, I've given you one last chance. Yep. And if you fuck me again, I'm going to kill you. And she nods to Grey Worm. Like, she nods to Grey Worm. Yes, go with Tyrion's yeah. plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... In my mind, this isn't Lando, not premeditated. This isn't Lando nodding the Lobot like, "Hey, we're going to take the stormtroopers." This is like, "Yeah, he, okay, he's he's one. I, I'm not that type of person. I don't want to be that person. Let's let's do it." 
Right. Because they had a long argument where she's like, you know, well, my, the, my, the slaves I freed fought for themselves. And he's like, yeah, but that's, that's not the relationship these people had with Cersei. Like, they're hostages. And she's like, well, yeah, they're hostages of Tyrant. How's that my fault? And, you know, the, the weakness of mercy. And, like, there was a nice back and forth. And I think Tyrion, it felt like Tyrion won. Yeah, it felt like he did convince her to try one more desperate move. And so if, and if think, it doesn't work, yeah, it, keep it, going. And if you think that, that there is a, some private agreement between Grey Worm and Danny, I don't see how that's in the text at all. That's an inference. They never reveal it. That's a surmisal. That not, you, yeah, not only do they making. not set it up, but they also don't reveal it. Right. So right. how are we to guess at any of that? Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I took from that scene that she said yes try this agreed okay people continue to stream oh actually um at the end of that scene she also tells Tyrion that jamie was captured trying to get through their lines yeah we'll get to that in a moment mm-hmm. um people uh, oh go ahead because I, I, I do have um so here's here's a but here's a here's a one of the problems that i'm going to let gary s explain so when Jamie first turns up at Winterfell in front of Danny, she wants to kill him for stabbing her father in the back. And only the intervention of Brienne, who's vouched for via Sansa, who Danny, by the way, now hates, prevents her from executing him. So at this point, she captures Jamie for betraying her for trying to get back to Cersei, but she just decides to keep him as a prisoner. Yet Varys <laughs> gets the full on Dracaris treatment in the same time for betraying her. I hmm. this is kind of a problem. What? It is. Yeah. Can someone explain to me why Danny would take have Jamie held prisoner to eat on the eve of this battle and not just make it a two for one? It's because well, how would Tyrion and Jamie get a final moment together to say goodbye? In fact, if wh- he got Dracarist up, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, in fact, she's keeping him <laughs> prisoner for like two because there's a day and a night transition that comes. So she's keeping him prisoner for multiple days. And you're right. The only explanation is because they needed this next thing for Tyrion to happen. Yeah. That's so. It's again uh, like. If you if that's okay with you, that's fine. But please recognize that this is an this is an instance where the writers are just pulling a fast one and hoping that you go along with it. And so and so much of this story, the shock value that has come in Game of Thrones, has been mined from the inevitable logical conclusion of characters' actions. Yes, and this the inevitability. This is the complete opposite. Yes. The the inevitable thing that would happen here is Jamie would be instantly killed by Danny. Right. Not that he would be preserved, tied to yet another fucking tent pole. Right. And yet another fucking uh, enemy encampment. Like, they've done this so many times now. Right. And, and I get, like, that's probably why they wanted to circle back. You know, yeah. do this callback to how many times has Jamie been in this situation. Do the callback to when he freed Tyrion. Do all these things. Because sure. that stuff that's works great, real well. But you undermine other characters in the process and you need to find a way to do both yeah and that's what they did so well in previous seasons sure right because they had like really careful plotting and source material and all that stuff yeah okay so people continue to stream into the red keep i I was wrong by the way this is going to be a very long episode i said in the instant take it'd probably be short nope there's no i mean it's the penultimate (laughs) episode if you if you want like a 30 minute episode podcast then you know i don't know i didn't think the opinions would be this divisive and we'd have to like (sighs) yeah start that we have going to really, the minutia yeah, of it. Yeah, we have to really build our case here, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so people stream into the Red Keep. Tyrion and Jon and quite a few of the troops land on the beaches outside King's Landing. They plan to attack at daybreak, and Tyrion asks Davo a mysterious favor, which we'll find out. Is it kind of crazy that Davos just, like, this is all off screen? That he just grants, like, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I, I, I think it works, though. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what Tyrion told him. I, I want to assume that Tyrion didn't tell him exactly what was up. Just sort of like, 
Leave, I need you leave to, a boat. I need you to leave here. a boat down here for somebody like yeah. The Onion Knight thought, oh, we're getting a shipment. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, yeah. I I just thought that like uh, I mean if this was the worst thing that, that happened in the episode I'd be okay but like definitely I, this is a dangling Chad to say the least uh, a little bit uh, I'll give you that okay um I think the the more egregious thing is like there is no fleet on this side of King's Landing how did they land so many troops on this beach dude and like under the nose of euron under the walls that looks like i mean again this goes back surely to the, the sins people of last the people with the ballistas the people with the scorpions yes. can see the encampment being built painstakingly yes. over the course of what must be days and, and again and they could probably like i don't know send somebody down to say hey Euron, can you go blast any ship that comes yeah. in here send send one ship yeah. over there to deal with these fucks yeah because danny doesn't have any so they can just <laughs> why I'm, are you I'm, allowing enemy troops to land on your beaches i don't know and also like they staged i think they did a poor job of staging this because this is the sins of last episode they're well within those ballista ranges absolutely I yeah um like the range of those things as seen of last episode is fucking obscene and, and they no have one the made navy them. like the realistic range of this is already enough to realistically threaten a dragon, but the dragon, like, there's a tension there. Like, if this thing had a realistic range of three, four hundred yards, like, a dragon would never be. Like, you only get one shot, danger. At it, right? Yeah, yeah as yeah, it's yeah, swooping yeah. down like, to kill like, you. By the time you're in fire range, the dragon's in ballista. But like, no, this thing's got a range of like three nautical miles. <laughs> so, like, they're Iowa class battleships, just fucking. Ha- I, yeah, there's there, there there's no reason why they should be allowed to just set up this camp. I mean, you've this got close. you've got a navy. Mm-hmm. They have basically no navy. Yep. Why would you not set up some kind of blockade around King's Landing to not let them land their troops? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but we've seen time and time again that none of the battle plans have made any sense. Nope. It's uh, too bad. It's too bad. That's just how it goes now. So the Hound and Arya get uh, stopped on their way into the city by, I think, one of the Stark men. Yep. And they tell him they're on their way to kill the queen, which sort of confuses him. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. It's a good. It's a. It's a funny scene. It is. Yeah. It's. It's very good. And yeah. they continue through. Yeah. Uh, as this guy presumably runs off. Actually, presumably just keeps it to himself. Yeah. Right. Go like, talk to your captain. Right. By the time that's done, they're in. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Reminded me of the scene in the Avengers where like uh, like Captain America and the Black Widow and Hawkeye are commandeering a. Uh, like a fighter jet, and one of the like mooks comes up and is like, "You're not supposed." To, and Captain America's like, "Son, just don't." Like what? Uh, like okay, you're gonna go talk to your captain. While you do that, we're going to keep going under no threat. Like, come on, come on. You don't even yeah. have a name. You're not even credited. <laughs> I'm the fucking hound. This is fucking. Oh, we'll get to credited names. Slayer. Yeah. Uh, I I was asking myself after this episode, why isn't Arya using any face at this point? Because it'd be sort of the perfect time sneaking yeah. into King's Landing. Uh-huh. Uh Would make a lot of sense to, and especially like in front of the hound, like mm-hmm. to prove once and for all to the hound that she has supreme ability like mm-hmm. that she is the warrior that he always thought she couldn't be right like show her take a face right in front of the hound yeah it would be able to explain a lot to us as an audience of how this whole thing works it would be able to like i said cemented in the hound's mind who she is all of this would make sense and even in the context of him saying you don't want to be me sure at the end it would make it maybe more powerful i think what they're doing though mm-hmm. is they're saving this for danny mm. potentially maybe like I, I, I really do think that we will get Arya doing some face shit in this if last not, episode because she didn't even do that to kill the Night King. Like if her yeah. her big face heist was killing Walder Frey in Westeros. But but who is the Night King going to let close enough to him that 
a face would matter. Yeah, not, I, I get it. I'm just yeah. saying that like it's. I, I don't feel like they've quite paid off those abilities yet. I agree, which is why I think they're going to try and pay him off mm-hmm. next episode. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> then we're all in agreement here. Yes. Let's move on to Tyrion going to see the imprisoned Jamie, the, the... stupidest Lannister. <laughs> Uh, yes, I would agree. He releases Jamie with the condition that it, he at least try to convince Cersei to give up and leave King's Landing via this boat that he apparently gets from Davos. Uh, there's a tearful goodbye when Tyrion thanks Jamie for being the reason he survived his childhood. And I went into this scene going, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And I came out of this scene going, slow clap, bravo. Like, they kind of nailed it at the end. I because, thought. like, I guess I didn't. The thing that made it w- work for me is the whole time I'm like, Tyrion, how can you think that this is going to? How can you? But like at the end, and I'm about to compare this to Jamie. Um, he says, uh, he goes like, hey, look, if you do this, your queen's going to execute you. And Tyrion says, oh, you know, if I win the war without firing a shot, maybe she'll forgive him. And then Jamie kind of looks at him. He's like, all right, a thousand, ten thousand innocent people are worth one not-so-innocent dwarf. He's very... Re- like, that tells me that Tyrion knows that even if he successfully completes this mission, he's going to be killed by by Danny. He's making a noble sacrifice. This stands in contrast to Jaime saying, I never much cared for the innocents. Oh, my God. Like, I think for symmetry to happen, that Tyrion has to be like, bullshit. This, no. You're, in fact, your entire character has been defined by the fact that you, unlike your sister, can't not care about innocence. Yeah. I mean, this is a man who traded his honor and a lifetime of eating shit mm-hmm. from everyone in the realm yeah. to save the innocents. Yes. And he has done things to... And, and not just the innocents. These innocents in particular. Right. The these kings, very yes. people that he yes. says I never cared for. Yes. This line is a huge mistake. Yes. This line is ignoring everything that makes Jamie Jamie. And if you want to... If, if if, I, I, I buy that, that he's saying that as like a Lannister bravado, but I wish Tyrion had called him on it the same way Jamie called Tyrion on his like, oh, well, maybe the queen will give mercy. He's like, I wish Tyrion would be like, I don't believe that. And Jamie's like, well, you're right. You know, like, but, but here's the problem. Let's OK, let's grant that this is bravado uh-huh. and and that J- Jamie does care. Well, then it fundamentally undermines his character that he goes back and doesn't actually care about the innocence. He's only there to comfort Cersei. Mm-hmm. Let's go the other way and let's mm-hmm. say that he actually never cared. Well, he's only cared for Cersei and he never cared about the innocence. And mm-hmm. somehow that lines up with being the Kingslayer. Mm hmm. Uh, which it doesn't, but let's mm-hmm. say, <laughs> is that does that not completely undermine everything they've done between him and Brienne? I think that so. speech like in I, that bathtub like I, is yes. a fucking lie to her face. Yeah, Th- this breakdown of this man at his most vulnerable moment was yeah. all an elaborate lie. Right, that makes no sense in the context of those episodes. Right. Zero. No, I either I way agree. that you want to read that line. It is wrong. And it I is think, just wrong. I think there's a way they could have told a story where Jamie's trying to stop Cersei and trying to kill her, but when he finally gets to her, it's too late because Danny's gone crazy. So like he's like, well, sure, I could kill her for no good. This woman, because like you know, Cersei just pathetic at the end of this episode. I could be like, you know what? Yeah. And it'd be almost like a moment of grace for like Jamie to like, you know what? I'm gonna try to go out as peacefully and as with with as little bitterness as possible, but. The fact that it turns out all along he's got this addiction to Cersei, I just feel like that is not the story that they were trying to tell for no. eight seasons for Jamie Lannister. No, it's, I, this man it's does not care. It's not a character arc. It's a character circle. 
It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a epic swerve. It's a it's a justice subversion with no setup, and I'm I I feel as strongly about this as anything. Yeah, I, I think this is actually the worst part of the. And it's not the about worst like line. Jamie didn't have to be the one to kill Cersei. That's no. not the problem. It's this this. I never much cared for innocence and for that to be standard, for that to like seem like the episode believing. And if you go the behind or the inside the episode or behind the episode or underneath the episode or uh, you know through the episode's asshole, whatever the thing's called, like I feel like the double D's what they say is nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's just nonsense. It is. Well, we'll get to that when Danny burns the city. Okay. Uh, I, I want to point out here also that Tyrion understood the nod that Danny gave to Grey Worm to mm-hmm. be one of acknowledgement this is the new plan sure. because he tells jamie ring the bells mm-hmm. open the gates that's all we have to do here and danny will stand down yeah and and also like you said bravo, bravo like it's even with all the problems of this um i think that the moment where Tyrion breaks down and, and says you're the reason i survived childhood and the fact that he's He's freeing Tyrion or Jamie in the exact same situation that Tyrion freed uh, uh, Jamie freed Tyrion. Yeah. Like if if Tyrion hadn't killed Tywin, Jamie's in a lot of trouble. Like the only reason that like you uh-huh. know like like that's committing very high treason. It's like it's it's like oh, very man. equivalent exchange. And I these yeah. brothers loving each other makes a lot of sense. Um, I just. I don't know. I I don't like the fact that Tyrion seems like he has a soft spot for Cersei, and that Jaime still has a soft spot for Cersei. Um, and how much more poetic is it that if Jaime had let Tyrion go and Tyrion kills their father, uh, Tyrion lets Jaime go and Jaime kills Cersei? Uh, Kevin C uh, sent a link to or, or mentioned an interview with the Nikolai uh, Coster Wildow. I probably butchered his name. Probably. Where he know. says that he had to create his own head cannon for why Jamie returned to Cersei so abruptly because his character's progression didn't make sense to him. And this reminded me a lot of like remember we used to go to the old Walker Stalker cons back when The Walking Dead was transitioning from attempted prestige drama about zombies into total horseshit. And yeah, like panel after four-ish. panel it was actors like being asked things and they were saying, like, you know what? Yeah, that didn't make sense to us, but then, you know, we kind of worked out that maybe what happened, and, like, they were clearly doing the yeah. work that the writers weren't willing to do, and this, like, these seasons are the first time I started hearing that from the the cast of Game of Thrones, and there's super Yeah, Con- Conleth, uh, the guy who plays Varys, um, right. he also said basically the same thing, like, I thought my character was underserved, I, yeah. I thought it was weak, um, I, I didn't have much to do in these final seasons, right. and he was ultimately disappointed in the role that Varys had yeah. in the final seasons, and not not simply because, oh, I wasn't in the show much, right. more because Varys has always been a character who very much gets involved in these yeah. situations. And to be fair, there's super cuts of people put together like an eight-minute video of everyone having allegedly negative reactions to this season, and I think a lot of that's way overplayed. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But no, like when when they say specific things, like it's hard to argue that Varys wasn't underserved these last few seasons. It's hard to argue that this is what everyone not not was expecting and it's subverted, but just like this this is actually what people this is the way to this is the way to tell the story of Jamie being addicted to Cersei. I I don't know. Big problem for me. Yeah, me too. Uh the Golden Company lines up against the Northern forces. Tyrion tells John that the bells mean surrender. And Arya and the Hound make it into the Red Keep just as they shut the gates, but Jamie's a little too late, so he tries to find an alternate way inside. Uh, I thought it was nice, or well, <laughs> it was actually evil, 
um, though he didn't know it, the hound sort of causes this woman and her child to be trapped outside the city it, it, directly. It They're literally the last ones or the first ones to get shut out of the city. Right. It feels like a callback to the hound stealing the silver from the farmer. Yeah, and yeah. you find out that he's like another just like uh, a thoughtless action on his single minded focus on his revenge has doomed another innocent family. And, and if Arya had pointed it out, he probably would have said they're dead anyway. Right. And, and so am right. I. He'd and so are you. Right. He'd and, probably yeah. be right. Um, right. I love the shot of like uh, the leader of the Golden Company, uh, Harry Strickland, how they show like over his head and shoulders, you see in the distance, John's army. And it's kind of like an inverse of the Battle of the Bastards, mm, something yeah. that Miguel Sapochnik pointed out in the uh, the Game of Thrones revealed stuff. Um, I thought that's great because it's foreshadowing the fact that you're about to see John and uh, the Unsullied and the Dothraki and all of our quote unquote heroes act like the villains. Uh, kind of revealing that in war, there is very little difference between good and evil other than their objectives. Like, you know, uh, sure. so I, I thought that stuff was all really good. All the establishing shots, the the city looking beautiful. Um, there's this gorgeous shot of Cersei looking at, and you can see the ruined dragon pit and just all of King's Landing. It's, uh, and it just looks so fucking real. Um, I yeah. just can't, be- can't, can't believe how beautiful it all looks. I mean, the effects just get better and better because this next scene where Danny attacks the uh, scorpions both ship mounted and wall mounted mm-hmm. completely wiping out every single one of them uh, it looks amazing yeah and her attack coming out of the sun I thought was a great way to say what's different about this time yeah, and then her I've learned a little bit her her going there and then um, swooping down low so that the guns of King's Landing have to completely you know, depress their aim and then have Drogon swoop up and torch them. It's a little like even having said that, this would not be a problem if last episode didn't exist because it it's all it sure. even even with all the stuff they did to explain how Danny did it, it seems hard to believe that she had zero problems pulling this off. Yeah, it's just a question of accuracy and yeah. Look, I get it. The sun is in their face, and I like how you know John lines up in mm-hmm. where he puts Harry Strickland's face right into the sun yeah i mean this is no pun intended sun Tzu. yeah uh basic art of warship right sure. like this has been known for thousands of years yeah and uh, it's like basic world war one world war two aerial tactics um yeah i i just don't uh, i i just i just wish that there there's someone put together a really cool like reimagining of last episode scene where they told the story so they it's the exact same footage but they recut it to where it happens this way danny's flying high she sees euron's fleet and thinks ah this fucker's gonna try to ambush me again so she takes her two dragons because she still got regal with her into the dive and then the mass volley of the crossbolts drives her away and then they cut to regal getting shot down from they imply from the mat like that makes a lot of sense that like if you can get the that these things aren't just like accurate from miles away and you can like track moving dragons. Uh, like, I don't know. Like they could have told that no one forced them. No one put a gun to their head and said that you have to kill Regal in this surprise, shocking faction yeah. with unerring machine gun style crossbolt accuracy, but they did. So now, but, even- and I, I just feel like they, they should have saved that for now like uh, yeah. I, i'm with you like oh i'm about like wait till we get there's there's a suggestion that i, I will we'll get to in danny turns evil that i think is like closed book this is how they should have done it and i cannot believe dozens of high-paid writers didn't see it <laughs> i i it, it's hard to believe anyway uh so 
so one thing I wanted to point out, which I thought was hilarious, and I posted this in our forums, uh, the, you're on in this in this scene. He gets uh, subtitled as Soldier One when he's yelling to yeah. his crew to turn the guns yeah. around, uh, which is just like as as useless and pointless as you're on has been this uh-huh. entire time. And how much people are just like, who, who the fuck is this guy? Why do we care to label him as some nameless yeah. soldier? In the captions is great. Plus, he's drinking out of a Yeti cup. I mean, that's the, <laughs> the why he's doing it. That's the thing that really threw me. Neil's is cracking cups. Uh, <laughs> but but the funnier thing, I think, though, or or maybe the sadder thing, is that the production team completely ignores because there are two people shouting, "Turn it around here!" Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Euron, nameless soldier. One, the other is a guy on his boat. What what is wrong, Aaron, with the guy on his boat shouting, "Turn it around"? I thought they were mutes. I did t- the show did too as of like an episode ago, two well, episodes ago. Dion's twenty dudes killed every person on on Euron's boat, so he had to reluctantly crew with people who could talk. And he put them in the the garb of his his people. Yeah, yeah. He didn't let know. them wear their Lannister armor. He was I like, mean, if he, you're coming on my boat, you're yeah, gonna wear yeah our fucking robes. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. That's suspect. Uh. It, but but it's just like it's so sloppy. It's just an in, it's indicative of the care that they put into this final season. Right. Uh, it, I'm. I would be willing to forgive it in a better episode. Kind of like I forgive sure. the Starbucks coffee cup. It's like there's a you there, can't catch everything. I get it. But but it just there's a pattern after a while that right, you see it's, it's, where they just don't try hard enough. Yeah, suspension of disbelief is like an anti-gravity device. Like, they don't fail gracefully. Like, they, like, once you, like, if you're yeah. a mile high over the surface of the Earth and you're, you got your anti-gravity system on and it fails, mm-hmm. you crash. You don't, like, <laughs> smoothly descend when that, and suspension of disbelief is the same way. Once you be, get to your breaking point, wherever that is, and if you're like Danny, maybe you don't even have to breaking point at all. You can just decide to like not have your like once that fails. I've seen it time and time again. That's when mm-hmm. people. That's when the nitpicking, the quote unquote nitpicking, comes out because all the yeah. shit that you would have ignored because you're down with the story now becomes you're looking for the justification of why you're not liking it. And um, if you want to say I'm picking nits here, I am. Sure, yeah, I am. But like you said, they're I, but they're, my they're sizable nits. And the show didn't yeah. used to have an infestation of these nits that needed to be picked. I mean, they're, they're nits that have been directly contradicted in the plot that they spell out on the screen right. earlier. Like, the that's episode. the most egregious thing. They say, oh, all of his crew are mutes. Like, mm-hmm. that, how can you then, uh, never mind, forget yeah. it. All right, Kyburn reports the bad news. The ballistas are gone. The scorpion's done. The iron fleet is gone. The golden company is gone. Cersei thinks they're going to win. She's pretty secure in her belief that... The Red Keep has never fallen. It won't today. Yeah. The, the um, Lannisters will fight to their last, the very last man. We, we had in, in last week's episode, uh, the spoiler edition, someone wrote in about like the fact that they built rebuilt this Dubrovnik set in Northern Ireland and, and Belfast. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if that's somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure if that's Northern Ireland or Ireland or what. But uh, they, they built this thing, and it was like it, the, the gist of it was just to avoid spoilers leaking out. But it's clear to me that they had to build this set to do the destruction of King's Landing proper. And I Mm. was amazed at how much practical effects. And I think it was worth it because these large CG battles, sometimes they're not quite convincing, but having men actually be on fire, having a giant gate actually Mm. explode with all these gasoline rigs, having these... This, this destruction actually happened on a large set. We haven't yeah. seen that since Lord of the Rings, and it led to an utterly convincing battle. It led to an utterly convincing battle. I agree. 
and one where I truly felt the power of this dragon. Did you see uh, one thing I want to uh, point out? I might put, put this in the show notes. Uh, this guy named Tabaxi Taxidermist on on uh, the subreddit r slash Game of Thrones uh, released patch notes for episode five, and he did you like told me about this. It's really funny because if if you're a video gamer, you know that like uh, you, when your favorite game gets patched, everyone goes through and sees like what got nerfed, what got buffed, and they they had like he had like bullet points like scorpions got get nerfed in this episode, reduced significantly reduced accuracy, uh, hero <laughs> character you're on no longer gives bonus to scorpion accuracy. Uh, there's uh what was the other one um northerners and unsullied both have reduced honor and morality meters it's now possible for them to commit war crimes with little to no provocation uh Euron plot armor has now been removed it's it's just really <laughs> really funny stuff yeah. um so if you hate the episode it's funny if you like the episode it's probably annoying uh i'll link it in the show notes uh let's move on lannister forces faced with certain death decide to surrender I really like this. This tense standoff felt like really, really cool. And then Danny lands on the walls and intimidates the fuck out of everybody. The Lannister soldiers all throwing down their swords. Um, uh, it's 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 great. Um, I'm gonna jo- pick a nit. Okay. The Lannisters have their helmets open in this scene. Hmm. They're squaring off against the Stark forces. And they their helmets completely open. Grey Worm's not even wearing his anymore. Like I, I just <laughs> think like true. this is that's true. This is like uh, one of those oh, bizarre man. things where like I, I don't understand what the decision to have the fate like all the faceless mooks have to have their faces showing. Like yeah, I, it, I it's weird. It's almost scarier and more intimidating if they don't. Yeah, but I think that they really wanted you to see the battle going on in the Lannisters between our uh-huh. loyalty to our house and oh geez, this is certain death. And you needed that, that's, to see that's the, told with a, a close up of the sword in their hand and a close up of the sword dropping. I agree, but I think it's a defensible artistic decision to want to see their eyes darting and their yeah, eyebrows. Yeah, this is why I said it's a nit yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah. picking. Um, yeah, I, I think for the nit. most part, this was a very tense moment. Yes. Like, they, they created a lot of tension here, um, especially when you you see, like, Danny watching the city, Tyrion watching the bell, Cersei mm-hmm. watching Danny and her dragon. Yeah. Uh, let's, I guess, keep going. The bells ring, signaling surrender, which is exactly when Danny decides to burn everyone. Mm-hmm. Grey Worm takes this as a cue to start killing, and the Northmen, for some inexplicable reason... Ignore the king in the north as he shouts orders not to follow suit. They murder, rape, and pillage King's Landing. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's okay. take this one at a time because I think some of this stuff is more defensible than you're letting on. Okay, um, let me ask you this, though, okay. because I don't think this is very defensible. Okay. Why is Grey Worm here? Why wouldn't he be? Where are the Unsullied? They're with him. No, they're not. Are you sure? Yes, I am. This is just the Northmen. This is all Northmen. This okay. is John and the Northmen. Un- unsullied or nowhere I mean, I don't to be know where seen. the Unsullied went because the Unsullied, the Dothraki, and the Northmen all charged the gate simultaneously. Maybe I'm wrong and they're in the way back and they're not getting in the shot. Well, they, but... they, they, they have that weird way of moving where they have to take one half step at a time, you know? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so the Dothraki every time go they do first because they're on horseback. The Northerns are just screaming uh-huh. and running and then the Dothraki or the Unsullied are doing their lockstep thing. Yeah, it seemed so... to me it was Dothraki leading mm-hmm. the charge on their horses. Uh, Unsullied right behind them with with Grey Worm mm-hmm. leading them, commanding them, Get, getting getting a lot. There's this is feeling like a the smallest of nits. Uh, yeah, but we got we got bigger nits it, to pick. But like this whole situation goes down entirely differently if Grey Worm isn't there. So I was just questioning like why does it? Yeah, because he's the spark. Mm. He's the spark for the Lannister men to or not, sorry, not the Lannister men, the Stark men to go all ape shit on the 
Crystal but, Lannisters. But I think it's in that once Dan- Danny burning the city is the spark. No. Yeah. No, watch it. Watch it again. The, I'm the, saying the, the spear. Dude, but I'm saying like, but John's there to tell everyone to calm the fuck down, and they're his men, and he's the king in the north. He can hold this situation. I fully believe. If you believe if that, Grey Worm I don't. doesn't spark it off. I just disagree. I think that okay. like maybe it takes five seconds, maybe it takes ten, maybe. But once the whole city's on fire and Danny's doing it, like I think it's inevitable. Because here's the thing. I think it's very realistic that the Northerners, the Unsullied, and the Dothraki all fucking go ape shit because the North fucking remembers. This is the city that killed their beloved Ned Stark. This is the the people that have betrayed and backstabbed and killed them and tricked them and humiliated them and exploited their honor and their integrity and their will. Like this, like so they they got a reason to hate these people and see want see vengeance done. The Unsullied supposedly the incorruptible army that was not going to rape and pillage cities uh, because that's not what they do. They're inhumanly trained not to do it, have been taught that they're individuals and they have pride and they love their freedom and they just saw one of their slave sisters uh, re-enslaved and thrown off a fucking wall. So they're like, and they're led by Grey Worm and he's ready to go ape shit. And the Dothraki don't need a fucking reason. That's like their yeah, default. Sure. They're, they're, that's the, they're, their throttle stuck in like bat shit, yeah. battle crazy anyway. So like all three of these factions um, if it wasn't Grey Worm, it'd been somebody uh, because they're falling after lead. And like, I, it is kind of funny because because uh, John's like, "Stop! Stop killing!" Lannister soldier comes forward, he disembowels him. Stop the senseless violence! Another one comes forward, he has to hack that guy to death. Like, there's no <laughs> I mean, way. It's funny, he can but stop yeah, he this. he obviously has to defend himself. Yeah. Yeah, uh, once the route comes on, there's no way he can stop it because he's the only guy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He he's he's shell shocked in the mm-hmm. moment when he sees Danny burning the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sees his own troops attacking. He's not going to immediately try and and quell this. But, he's he's going to be shocked, which he was. But let's let's talk the big enchilada here. Yeah, Danny's on the 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 wall. She's waiting to see if uh, presumably the bells will ring because she doesn't start this immediately. No. And there's all these people crying out, help us, help us, please, someone ring the bell, mm-hmm. ring the bell for God. Like, there's all these cries, and she hears it. Like, how is this not the people crying out for a savior? The bell finally rings, and then she starts burning the city down. And she yeah. takes it to the sky, and I thought they were going to tell the story of her just, like, burning the Red Keep. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Because this is a legitimate military tactic or target, but Cersei's surrounded with innocent people, and it's going to be Danny thinks she's justified, and John still is sickened by the loss of innocent life. Well, she just starts torching the entire civilian population. Yeah. I. It's I, indefensible. I don't, um, yeah, I don't get it. And there's ways like, okay, let's say you don't kill Rhaegar last episode. Let's say that uh, Danny takes Rhaegar into battle with her, and since she doesn't trust John anymore, she forbids him to ride him or whatever. Um, and so Rhaegar's uh, up on the wall screaming at everybody, same way Drogon does. And what if, so the bells ring, the battle's over, but someone between Cersei or Kyburn or probably Euron just unilaterally decides to shoot one last crossbow bolt and it kills Rhaegal. Mm-hmm. Now you got Danny legitimately fucking losing her shit. Like she sees that yeah. she's been betrayed. She suspects Tyrion. Uh, she suspects John. One of her children has been, been, been murdered after the battle has already been won. After she, she single-handedly wins this surgical battle. I, th- how is that just not straight up better? How is that I'm not straight you. up better? Yeah, no, I, I can think of, and I've seen on the, the fan communities here, mm-hmm. 50 different ways yeah. that this plays out that make far more sense in the yeah. moment 
than this did. And I want to make a comparison to the Red Wedding here because I think this is key because a lot of people in the email said, you know, this there's no difference between this and the Red Wedding. You just don't like it. Okay. What if Man. the Red Wedding happened and when Rob got or when Rob got to the to twins, he goes to uh, Frey, Walter Frey says, you know what, Walter? I've been really thinking about it and I did you dirty. I'm going to set it. You're, you're right. I was immature. I, I'm going to set aside Talisa and I'm going to marry your daughter and she'll be queen of the north. Does Walter Frey still go through at the Red Wedding with that fat, like, like suddenly Possibly that, not, yeah. that changes the mathematics? Or better yet, what if Rob never betrayed him in the first place? What if he hadn't lost? Like, they told the story of literally everything going Danny's way, and she just decides to rule through fear by destroying an entire civilian population, something she's never, ever done before. Yeah, something she's she's decried many times like i i want to help these people yes. you know i am the i am the breaker of chains i i'm gonna break the wheel of tyranny yeah and again there's a it's, lot of you can make an argument that this was all foreshadowed i just needed and the other thing is like i don't feel like the double d's did a great job of telling the story because like i think my understanding is that Danny just went insane. She went mad mm -hmm. queen, but it seems like in the uh, interview <laughs> sessions, they take great pains to say that, no, Danny's not going crazy. Well, well, here's the thing is they say that this is all premeditated and yes. like, like their, their, their paraphrased quote here is that this is premeditated. And when she's sitting on the wall and the bells are ringing and she sees the keep, she decides to make this personal is is exactly what she they say I, she decided to make this personal why which 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 i mean that that is them saying like this was not premeditated mm -hmm. so everybody who's saying like oh that nod to gray worm meant right. actually nothing meant the exact opposite of what i as right. a viewer thought that it right. meant is undercut by the creators of the show telling you this is not what we had it in our minds when yeah. we created these scenes mm -hmm. uh also Making this personal, what does making this personal have to do with the the people of King's Landing? That's the the innocence of King's Landing. You like this that is, you want to free of tyranny. When she says like decide to make it personal, it's personal between her and Cersei. Yes. Like and that's still already shocking. And like, the other thing is to like, take if, out the red keep and the collateral damage, yes. That would, would be, be shocking. shocking. It would already be enough to probably push John and Davos and Tyrion over the edge. The other thing I guess is like even if she like even if Rhaegal had died the way I just outlined it, like it still doesn't excuse her burning the city. It's still clearly a massive overreaction that you wouldn't want from a righteous leader. Oh, but it's immoral. It's, yeah. It's a much, much more understanding. This just her deciding to make it personal and deciding that the people of King's Landing are the ones that were firing the crossbow bolts at her and the ones that killed her friend. Like, there is a person that did that. It's Kyburn, it's Cersei, it's Euron. These people are crying out to be saved from these fucking people. They hate her as much as anyone. They just like... And, and she's gotten the thing that she's always wanted, which is to take back the Red Keep for yes. her fucking family. But she's now she's going to destroy she, it. She's not even on the precipice of having gotten it. She got it. She did it. She has one. She's she won a complete... It. And like maybe... Like again, she wants to burn down the Red Keep, but honestly, Cersei's done. Like... Yeah, and, you and, march your troops in there, you kill her, and you're and, done. And when they show her face, you can see it even on Cersei's face that for the first time she realizes, I'm done. Yeah. I just, I mean, and if they did enough for you to believe that this is that that this is Danny, then I actually am kind of envious of you because the whole rest <laughs> of this episode just fucking works. It does, yeah. But to me, it's, this it's is horrifying. A big, it's this terrible. Is, and again, I don't think it's too much to ask if you're going to ask the secondary or primary hero, depending on how you want to look at it. 
uh, if you're going to turn them to the dark side, I don't think it's too much to ask for them to do a, better, a little bit better job. Because, like, I, to me, this is very Anakin Skywalker, where, yeah, sure, he murdered... I, there's, and the problems are almost exactly the same. I didn't fully buy his relationship with Padme. I didn't fully buy his friendship with Obi-Wan. I didn't fully buy him just... Uh, killing the sand people for this, this contrived way. And then, like, the scene where he turns to the dark side, in a 15-minute span, he goes to Mace Windu, gains everything he wanted, which is the trust and prestige of the Jedi Council. Mace Windu goes to arrest the person that needs to be arrested, and then he's like, oh, shit. Then my girl dies. I can't bring her back. Then he betrays Mace Windu. Then he falls to his knees and says, what have I done? The Emperor says, go kill all the younglings. And then, like... I'm sorry. I think there's a lot more in common with Danny's fall to the dark side with Anakin Skywalker than any other. Like, like you, you, like the perfect way that this has been done was Walter White in Breaking Bad. Yeah. And as a person that covered that in and real it took time, many seasons to get there. And the person, and and the thing is, is like you're at the end of Breaking Bad. There were still a few defenders of Walter White. Just as in the beginning of Breaking Bad, there was a few people who said, nah, I'm not rooting for him. He's a bastard the whole time. But uh-huh. you look at how the audience, like you can tell whether they've done their job by how many people kind of go along with it. And when you see this kind of mixed reaction, it is a failure of storytelling because people are not out to get this show. They want to love this show. I want to love this show. I, I want to love I, this show. I, I struggled. I went back through whatever catalog of this show that I have in my head. And I looked at the previous episodes yeah. in, in seasons of yore, uh, seasons one through four, and I tried to think of a single scene in a single episode that dissatisfied me that was less than excellent. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. I couldn't think of a single damn scene in all of the first four seasons of Game of Thrones that yeah. let me down in any way. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, now here we are in season eight, shortcutting our way to a 13-episode right. double season. Yep that is so fundamentally flawed mm-hmm. in the understanding of these characters and what, what what drives them and what will push them over the edge in certain yeah. scenarios. I, I look back and I just say, man, what could have been? And I'm sympathetic to the people that says, you know, if, if you ignore the small stuff and you just go with the broad strokes, this actually tracks and it's very Game of Thrones. It's probably something like a lot of this yeah, stuff is probably... I, but I just, I just wish that like it's... Like, they didn't do the small stuff right, and then I can't go along with them on the big stuff. Like, I guess if you just, just like I think uh, episode three of Star Wars works, if you just go along with it as like this gothic opera um, that kind of works on some kind of intuitive emotional level and doesn't maybe make logical sense. Yeah. But you know what? I said, well, I was pretty much fucked George Lucas on, on that one, too. So. No, I. I... I have been saying all along, you can go back and you listen to the podcast. I have been saying this. They have very well told the story of Danny being on the edge Mm -hmm. of of her. her... The coin being flipped and spinning in the air. Yes, they have told that story so well. I could so believe it. And I was I've never been on the side of like, I will riot if Danny goes evil. I think that's a perfectly valid outcome for this character. They just didn't quite make it across the finish line for right. me in telling that story. Like, if Miss Sandy died in front of her eyes and she just instantly went berserk, like, there needed to be... Uh, yes, walk off, this... walk off the screen in that last episode, get on your fucking dragon, and burn this place to the ground. Because Danny is a dragon that can be waked and can be act irrational, can get, like, ahead of herself, but she doesn't 
premeditated murder a bunch of civilians for Never. no reason. They have not. Never. I don't think they've told that story. And, and they, they didn't give me a reason to believe that she had changed her mind about yeah. that. Yeah. And if and if you think they have, I I'm very happy for you. Yeah. I wish I this was is along with you. One of the best episodes of Game of Thrones, yes. if you believe that. Because yeah. again, the first half of this works. The second half, again, I don't. I I, I think accepting the Jamie shit, but the yeah. It would be another case where it's like, well, you know, they had a couple of bumpy roads, but uh, yeah. So one more final point. From a book perspective, there's actually a lot of really subtle textual clues for Danny's eventual fall, and they start surprisingly early. For example, when Daenerys is introduced to us, she frequently remembers her childhood home in Braavos, where her and her brother first lived in exile, because it's the only safe, happy, secure environment she's ever known. And she finally recalls the lemon tree that grew outside her home and, most prominently, the big, bright red door that adorned the entrance. In just her third POV chapter, in the very first book, Game of Thrones, she had these thoughts as she tried to focus her mind's eye on Westeros. But it was not the plains Danny saw then. It was King's Landing and the great red keep that Aegon the Conqueror had built. It was Dragonstone, where she had been born. In her mind's eye... They burned with a thousand lights, a fire blazing in every window. In her mind's eye, all the doors were red. If you'd like to join the legions of book readers who have and will continue to comb through the books looking for great bits of potential foreshadowing like this, Audible is a great way to experience the saga. And you can start listening today with a 30-day Audible trial, which gets you your first audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Every book in George Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series is available on Audible's site, all in a convenient app that allows you to listen everywhere you are, at the gym, in your car, mowing your lawn. And if you're not happy with your choices, audiobook exchanges are free and easy. Your credits roll over for up to a year, and you keep your existing library even if you cancel. So start listening today to begin your free 30-day trial. Visit audible.com GOT or text GOT to 500-500. All right, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Jamie continues to make his way to Cersei. Euron finds him on the beach, and they fight. Jamie is stabbed in the side with a foot-long, I'm being generous, foot-long dagger. Jamie gets stabbed again in the other side, but he's able to kill Euron, and he makes his way under the walls as Euron gloats about killing Jamie Lannister. Kind of two scenes that I combined here, but... Uh, and here's the thing. This, I think, is completely indefensible. The yeah. fact that Euron would be blown off his boat... <laughs> By dragon fire, this lethal. spot at this like there is a one minute gap where this scene works mm-hmm. and and again if this was the only problem i had with the episode then maybe you could decry you could decry me as a nitpicker but Euron has he ever done anything but swoop in at the last minute through some crazy coincidence and luck and do some devastating thing to a major character that we love has he done anything but that in his entire existence of game of thrones I just maybe when he's first introduced at the king's mood, maybe yeah. And he if fucks I'm being and generous, he, and he comes home swagger and he fucks Cersei. He fucks the queen. But like yeah. all of his big moments are just unearned <laughs> moments of triumph. <laughs> Can you imagine if they took instead of Euron killing Jaime uh-huh. or, or wounding Jaime mortally, uh-huh. um, if they just had like you said uh, this Rhaegal thing where Euron is just like I fucked the queen as he fires the last right. uh, ballista bolt that goes right into Rhaegal sure. setting Danny off I would sure, totally why? see that yeah yeah but, that'd be amazing and the other thing is this this goes back to like when they gutted Arya and threw her into that filthy canal um, I just don't know why they do like why did Jamie have to get run through his guts twice by an 18 inch dagger yeah 
Like he it's a little get, unbelievable. Like, one, like I, I just feel like they continually in the last two or three or four seasons are doing this thing, and they do it multiple times this episode, as we're about to discuss. I mean, they do it multiple times in this scene. They stab him in the in the sides, but they stab Euron in the guts, and Euron's right. completely incapacitated by it. Right. I, like I don't unable to stand up even. Yeah, I just like I did they. When characters used to take fatal damage damage on this show, it was fatal. And there's a couple notable noticeable examples, like the Hound being left for dead, all that kind of stuff. But like, increasingly, they've done this horseshit where they're trying to generate what a, a fan reaction by putting characters in mortal danger and not killing them. But the problem is, just as Walking Dead learned to its sorrows, you can only do that so many times before the fans stop caring. Before yeah. it just comes across as plot armor. Yeah, I mean, they do it... They do it with Jamie, Brienne, Pod, Sam, uh, Tyrion. Yeah. Last episode with the, the mask coming down on his head. Yeah. Uh, they undermine the truly impressive work that they do at conveying the power of Dragonfire. Yeah. By having Euron be totally fine yeah. after getting hit by a near-direct hit. Right. After having Arya get up totally fine yeah. after hitting getting hit with a near direct hit also they, they undermine the great work that they've done there by right. not killing these characters in these situations and i'm trying i was also or just not like, putting them in them in the first place it's just also just such a pointless thing because jamie never really i mean the whole story about jamie is he's not a warrior anymore sure and like i guess he did kick enough ass last uh, uh last episode but like i it was kind of borderline shocking to me that he was able to beat euron yeah. Like, even with a grievous injury. And I guess, you know, Euron didn't have a sword, and Euron had just gotten blown off the boat, and Euron had just fucking swam three miles from in, in the shore. But it's just, I don't know, this this is profoundly silly. And and that's that's saying nothing about the just a giant coincidence about this particular date, time and place. Yeah. There's, like, 100 feet ashore and 30 seconds of chronological time for these people to meet. And I don't, like, no, no, my suspension of disbelief is not powerful enough to, to make me believe nor care about this. Because I also don't understand why yes, Euron, that's, why Euron gets this moment. That's the bigger disappointment in my mind is that Euron is a nothing of a character that gets to arguably kill the one of the most <laughs> beloved or hated characters in the entire series. Right. Why does he? Why does he get that moment? I don't know. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, all right, Kyburn, seeing their imminent loss, takes <laughs> Cersei to Maker's Hold Fast. Uh, I don't know how much you want to say about that. Cersei definitely sees. Yeah, she's done. So it's like you know, like this is a cool little uh, detail. Like Maker's Hold Fast is this like squat little square castle within the castle. Um, and if you recall in season one, or uh, or maybe season, yeah, I think it's season one where Joffrey was. Uh, uh, tormenting Sansa by making her look at her father's head on a spike, and mm -hmm. they cross that drawbridge that she almost jumped off with all those spikes. That's actually Megor's Holdfast. Like, there's this huh. like, giant moat that's got a drawbridge. Like, even if you defeat the Red Keep, then you have to also, and it's got like 12 foot thick walls. It's built to be impregnable. Um, so, like, that's where he's suggesting to, to retreat, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, yeah. Now, outside as as kyburn is ushering her away we start to see wildfire caches start to explode i'm not quite sure what they're going with this whether this is literally like huh huh mad king eris huh huh wildfire dragonfire or if oh, it's like mad king eris danny huh yeah or if it's like sh like but, but it's it kind of has a side effect of like letting danny off the hook a bit because it's entirely possible that these wild like that Cersei would have blown these and burnt the city down anyway. There's a third possibility. I mean, there are probably a lot of possibilities, but another yeah. one is um, 
that these are leftover from Mad King Eris's days, which I kind of like the most. Yeah. But these, you know, he notoriously hid them throughout the city. Maybe they weren't all but found. What's the, what thematic, what thematic, what, what cinematic thematic motif is it serving to have them going off at this moment? Well, the, the same one as, as it would have if like, I mean, this is the, the elbow, the wink, nudge, mm-hmm. Danny Mad King thing, right? I think it serves that purpose as well. Yeah, okay. Just to remind us that uh, Eris exists, and this is about what would happen if he were to have executed his plan. Yeah. But then you also have to be reminded that Jamie was the defender of the people there, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is sort of unfortunate. So Arya and the Hound arrive in the map room. Uh, the Hound tells her to go home because Cersei's already dead and says, you don't want to become me consumed by hatred, essentially. And Arya asks him... Uh, or thanks him, sorry, as he leaves to hunt down his brother. Is this does this feel like an earned moment for Arya? Yes, I think so. I think the connection. Th- this is one of the strongest connections that mm-hmm. they've developed over the course of these eight seasons, or eh, pretty close to eight seasons, seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've done a really good job with Arya and the Hound. And in my opinion, the only person who could have backed her down at this point is mm-hmm. the Hound. I just wish they had done, they had played her a little bit more ambivalent with Gendry. I wish she'd played her a little bit more ambivalent with Nymeria. Like, everything to me tells tells me a story of, like, it's too late for this little girl. She's seen hmm. too much shit. She's been through too much shit. Um, she's, like, it's like, could the Hound have talked himself out of a life of vengeance if he, like, someone gone back and told his 18-year-old self, you don't want to go down this path, Sandor. This yeah. path leads death. Like, isn't Arya at least that committed? Um, I mean, yeah, I could, I could buy that argument. I just, I felt like, again, this is another one where I just didn't quite believe her switch from avenging death angel to scared little girl running for her life. Um, I wish I did, but I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the keep begins caving in on Cersei. Uh, the mountain, which I really like this moment, shields her badass. from the falling rubble as, the rest of the Kingsguard is falling around her dead. It just shows just how, what the, what, what job, what the job uh, in front of the hound is like. Yeah. It's so good. And in the lead be- up to this. And Clegane you believe Bowl. it. Like when you see this 500 pound boulder, like bounce off this guy, it's like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. With that armor, that body, he's undead full of whatever magic Kyburn's pumped him full of. Like it just, just sells. It, it just gets you hype for, the Clegane Bowl, what's about to happen? And it's not the only thing they do, because the Clegane Bowl begins when the Hound walks up, uh, but not before Kyburn's head is dashed to pieces on the wall by the mountain, and Cersei slinks off. No man's is as cursed as the Hype Slayer, I'm telling you. That, dude, when he comes in... It's so amazing. The way Kyburn dies is spot on i love i also like when the hound comes in and says your grace to the queen <laughs> and then hello big brother um and the way yeah. the, the way the mountain just glares at cersei when she says stay by my side and his eyes are just fu- you can tell that like no matter what kind of magic kyburn's working like there's in whatever lizard part of his brain that's still working mm-hmm. he hates his brother down to his fucking balls and they just like Nothing can stop this. Not n- any amount of Queen's Guard. Not any amount of warlock, uh, f- uh, disgraced maesters. <laughs> it's it's yeah. I, it's I, perfect. I, this is everything. This is the this is the one thing that I think they completely completely nailed nailed everything about it. Yeah. Uh, then we I, we kind of even not even mad that the Hound lets Cersei go because I think yeah. that he fully believed that 
everyone at this like and then he was right no oh, one after sending Ari away yeah, yeah he believes everyone is dead this deep in the castle no one's getting out yes like you might be able to get out if you're still in the streets of landing and you start leaving right now but everybody else is dead so he like i think it would have been cool if he had cut her down as like like he says you know if he just said like Arya stark says hello and just cuts her down but mm-hmm. then you wouldn't get the horse shit thing with jamie and but yeah no, no. clegane bowl 10 out of 10 11 out of 10 yep. a plus 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 so we go, we cut back and forth here between several scenes. It's Jamie and Cersei, it's the Hound, it's Arya, but... Can I ask I'll you this? Did, take you, in did order. you hear on the, I'm assuming you did on the behind the scenes, that they shot the Arya fleeing from King's Landing as a one-shot, a one-er? No. Yeah. Huh. So they, they shot this at probably great pains and expense as a single tracking shot of her going through King's Landing. And, and they in, didn't use it as that, huh? And in editing, they decided to intercut it with the Clegane Bowl. And I wonder if it's because they realized no one really cares to see five minutes of Arya trying to get out of King's Landing. Like, it's... How and and I think that you do yeah. get a little battle fatigue when it's about an hour yes. long of just con- like as good as the special effects are, um, and it'd be I think it'd be work better if I was fully engaged in like all of the four different plots that you're trying to tell the story, and I was only really engaged with like John and Davos and uh, like the Clegane Bowl, but like it feels like the, the to me it's it's that was it that's a storytelling failure if they get into the editing bay and it's like oh shit there's one or we can't use because. We, oh, I don't. I don't know if I really. I, I mean, I think they made the right storytelling call in the end. Oh, I do too. I, I think what makes it to screen is what it's important there. Yeah. Um, but it's it's awkward because like I think that the way they cut the Clegane Bull and Arya, they're they're telling a story, a connected story, like the Hound's on one trajectory and Arya's on another trajectory, but then they kept on kind of for me undercutting it by putting Arya in mortal danger. Like from my count. She dies from debris hitting her. She dies from dragon yeah, yeah. fire. She dies from being probably trampled to death and by the Dothraki running her down. Like mm-hmm. she should have died four or five times, and there's no reason why they kept endangering her again and again and again and again. It just felt. It just, yeah, it, I, I can feel you there. Okay, um, but but I think they made the right choice because I think even Clegane Bowl as a one or Clegane Bowl, like yeah, yeah, yeah. all at once might've been too much. I think intercutting these scenes makes a lot of sense here. Yeah. Um, it more, even more strongly connects Arya and the Hound and yeah. their, you know, potential fates here. Yeah. Um, I think it breaks up the action, which could have got, you know, less exciting if it wasn't broken up. Is this a good point to continue heaping praise upon the Clegane Bowl? Uh, sure, do it because like uh, yeah, was, when he he puts the sword straight through the mountain, but it doesn't phase him. What one of the things I because like uh, so I wrote these books, Thrones dot com, and uh, I, I we one one of the things we spent a lot of money on is is hiring um, Chase Stone to do the artwork for the the, the novels or the the books, and one of the things we had him illustrate is the Clegane Bowl. And it's one of my favorite illustrations, and he does this thing where the way he portrayed it, and Chase is kind of known in this, is the way he uses light in his art. And, like, this, this sunlight is streaming through the, you know, this, this coliseum they're fighting in. There's all these, like, Vavuzula trumpeters. But they just did this great job of, like, showing this bathe in, like, this almost, like, um, renaissance-looking painting. And that panel of the Hound at the bottom of the stairs and Gregor at the top and Drogon flying over is just 
fucking beautiful. And the fact that, like, when he's pulling the sword out of his chest and his head's framed by the sun, he's ripping off his armor, revealing his Frankenstein form. You've got this casting. You've got this Rory McCann who's, like, six foot six, a beast in his own right, and you literally have the world's strongest man uh-huh. in real life, fresh off the world's strongest man competition, and he's able to take Rory and throw him around like a child. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that, like, when he's punching him, it looks like every one of those is a near-fatal blow. And the the hound is like he's got him choking and he's stabbing him and he's he's laughing because he can't believe he can't kill this guy. And he's like, why won't you fucking die? Like all of this is so true to the hound's character and felt so fucking satisfying. Oh, man, I just, just I agree wanted to there's one episode that, that I can go over the top with my praise. It's this. It's this. All right. Um Arya is roaming the streets, witnessing the horror, the rubble falling all around her. She nearly gets trampled by the crowd as we cut between her and the hound, both getting beaten brutally. Uh, Arya gets up, and she's swept away by the crowd again while the the hound puts a dagger through Gregor's head. It still doesn't kill him, so the hound takes him over the edge of the tower into the fire below. And what a poetic end. What a beautiful end for the hound. He gets the two things that I think he wants out of life, which is the mountain and death. Uh... It's a perfect end and for I, Gregor. And I was so sucked up to this the first time I was watching or when the mountain... Sandor. When, when, <laughs> yeah, for both of them. For both of them, yeah. For when, when the mountain went in for his trademark, uh, you know, Prince Oberon eye gouge, yeah. I'm like, oh, this shit. This is going to go bad. This is like, this is like, I'm not prepared for this kind of gut. Sh- like, you know, the hound dying, okay, but like him failing to kill the mountain... And then, so, like, it ends up with... Uh, he, he stabs his brother. I just love the symmetry between... His brother poking one of his eyes out and him stabbing his brother through the head and poking mm-hmm. his eye out. Um, the hound realizing what he has to do, tackling through the wall, 500, fa- falling 500 feet into a raging inferno. That's just, yeah, that's how you fucking tie up a character arc right there. I agree. Uh, so John's, uh, John's out there still in this chaos and stuff, I think, starts to die down. So he tells everyone to fall back. Plus, I think suddenly he's all, they start listening to him again. Also, the wildfire is going off. I think that's really why he's saying everyone yeah, needs to shit's get coming out. Down around him. He also like he's also seen that there's interesting shots where John's seeing the Lannister soldiers like heroically trying to save civilians and u- ushering them. And like, I mean, they do a great job of telling this part of the story too. Is war as hell? Yeah. Like, don't get fu- don't if you take if you take men and women and and you train them to effectively override the base human impulse of thou shalt not kill. I mean, this is why you really got to be careful. Let slip in the dogs of war because this is what happens, man. Like maybe not a big percentage of it happens. Maybe like depending on the morals of the society that they're fighting. But like this will always, always happen. War crimes and atrocity will always, always happen on both sides of any conflict because this is just not human. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is a prime. This is our primitive part of our lizard brains that you're letting off the leash and. And and it doesn't matter good or bad. It's 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 terrible to see. And I thought um, this feels very Martin as fuck too, because yeah. Martin is much more a confirmed pacifist than than I am. And it's it's clear in his writing that he just abhors uh, warfare. So Arya wakes up um, covered in dust and rubble, having survived the attack, but just barely. She chokes her way through the streets, trying to help people escape while avoiding falling buildings and dragon fire. 
Uh, this is a nice scene here where she's trying to help these people mm-hmm. desperately to get out of this house. And you talked about, you know, this Renaissance painting of the, ma- the hound and the mountain on the stairs. There's yet another one here where she walks into these uh, these people, this this place where they're huddled looking for protection. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it is. It's a Renaissance painting. It's beautiful. It is. Um, and it's frightening and it's scary. And Arya tries to get them out of there and she fails. She She gets... She she's forced to abandon them in order to save herself. It's funny because on the um, the uh, Game of Thrones revealed or whatever, there's a clip where Maisie Williams says about these scenes because we talked about the rubble, we talked about the fire, we talked about the Dothraki riding her down. But she says, uh, uh, "What was the the direct quote? I, I something along the lines of I thought I had this written down. Um, something along the lines of." You know, we tried to trick the audience into believing that Arya is dead, but the audience is too smart for that. <laughs> then why bother trying? If you are cutting this thing together, like then so are so is this the show admitting that they're treating us like idiots? If we're too smart for it, but they do it anyway. Or or is it them saying that they think we'll figure out that she didn't die because we're smart enough to know that I don't she know. shouldn't die in the- it felt it felt a little bit like a confession i mean a lot of that thrones revealed stuff it really is felt like a confession as in we don't really know what we were thinking yeah or we stuff. but you know this uh, the, the 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 double d's have have a long history of me of like um saying bizarre things on these shows like uh clearly having jamie rape cersei and then be like oh no it's consensual and then you know, have something happen. And it's supposed to be a dark side, but it's like understandable from my perspective or like here, you know what they said about Danny just decided to make it personal. I mean, I, man, uh, uh, I'm super inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. About misspeaking uh-huh. as a podcaster. Sure. Uh, where, where, you know, we've been going for almost two hours here. There's probably a lot that I've said that I'll, I'll come to realize, oh, yeah, I should have worded that differently. Mm-hmm. However, that's not what they're doing with Thrones Revealed. They're, I don't assume that they sit down going, okay, bring on any question. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't seen these questions or anything. I assume they know what they're going to be talking about, and they should have their heads on straight when they're speaking about it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's complete chaos on the set of those things. Maybe. <laughs> like it is here. <laughs> uh, all right, Jamie... And Cersei get into the the dungeons underneath the keep, I guess. Uh, but their escape is completely blocked by rubble in every direction. Cersei realizes she's finally realizes she's completely fucked, and she begs anyone and everyone not to let her baby die. Uh, and then the entire keep falls in on their heads as Jamie tries to comfort her, calm her down. I again, I people said is like this is too good for Cersei. Um, this wasn't like, but the thing is, is like. This is where I want to defend Thrones a little bit because Thrones has always been about what is realistic. And all too often, people that commit atrocities, I mean, what can you do? What can you do to a person that's been responsible for the death of a million people that's worth it? There's no justice there, no. Yeah, there's like not nothing, not not even what you could devise in a million lifetimes in the blackest cell of the dungeon of the Dungeons of King's Landing could, could really bring justice to Cersei. Reducing her to this pathetic mewling character that's begging Jamie to save her because she can't save herself and she's fucked all this up and she's ignored all this. Like it's to me as fit. And I, and like I, even this moment that like Jamie comforting her, cause like, what's the point of not like, 
there's a couple ways they could have done, as we've already discussed, where I'd have been on board with this. This isn't this isn't a worse than the episode committed. No. Um, and like just in isolation, setting aside all the theories about the Valonqar stuff and the things that we've talked about, and even the way that the weirdly the show has foreshadowed that. Like I remember last season, a lot of people's eyebrows raised when they introduced that map throne. And you know, one is like if 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 you've avoided a spoiler podcast, you probably don't know what the Valonqar theory is, but there is a a prophecy as, as part of that thing that they uh, that that the Woods Witch told Cersei, where she said, you know, you'll have three kids and they'll all have golden hair and they'll have golden shrouds, and then a, a queen that's more beautiful, you'll replace her. The final stanza to that was then the Valonqar, which is a high Valerian for little brother, will come and wrap his fingers around your pale throat and choke the life from you. And last season. They had the map painted up, and Cersei was standing on the neck of Westeros, and Jamie was standing on the fingers, the part of the Westeros that, that the little fingers from called the fingers. And people are like, aha, done deal. He's the little brother that's going to do it. And they don't have to pay off the Valonqar stuff. It's just odd to me that they didn't. It's odd to me that they had all that kind of foreshadowing of the show itself, yeah. even, and then they just zigged. It's not the worst thing. It's just, this is fine. I think it's horseshit the way Jamie got here, and it seems like there was better, better ways to go. But they, it seemed like a lot of the things that they, the, a lot of decisions came down to. They just want to subvert everything. Yeah, I agree, and that might be a problem that Martin has too. Like a satis- satisfying character arcs, eventually you have to stop subverting because if you keep subverting, then just nothing makes sense. Everything's arbitrary and random. Yeah, um, and, and I, I'm inclined to say in this moment yeah uh you know this idea of the valencar theory coming true with the cast with the fucking keep coming down all around him mm-hmm. and dragon fire from every direction and the mad queen none of that matters anymore in that moment right yeah, i don't yeah. like how it led up to it mm-hmm. i i hate basically everything about what they did to jamie's character but in that moment like well, he's gonna stick a knife in Cersei's back no i get and it fulfill like fulfill some kind of prophecy that wasn't even in the show like so a, yeah in like isolation it, this it makes, is a great end for them both well I think in the moment, I think, you know, you have to almost isolate this scene from the rest of the episode. Yes, Which completely undermines that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But in this scene, there's no point in him killing Cersei anymore. Right. And, you know, whatever residual love is still there after she betrays him and he leaves her and goes to fight for the living and comes back. Whatever's left shows through. And I think that's fine in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So then... Uh, oh, also, I, I do like the Jamie, you know, a, another prophecy, not not quite as clear of a prophecy, more of just like a thing Jamie said, but it comes true. He liked to die in the arms of the woman he loves. Mm-hmm. That happens. Uh, that's a pretty nice moment. And then we go to Arya waking up from her trauma yet again and stumbles out into the street where she comes face to face with a white horse and she rides it straight out of the episode. People said this is like the pale, the death riding a pale horse. That makes no sense to me. Because no. Arya is not the personification of death in this scene. Yeah, I saw a lot of people saying she was. Um, ha, I mean, just like symbol of like death, like literally people dying because she looks like a dead person. Because like when I think but, of Pale the, Horse the, and the, the rider's death, I think of something that's dangerous and deadly. And I don't think of, I think of a, Danny. I don't think of a person that's a victim. No. And Arya was essentially victimized this entire episode. So, I agree with you. I think um, it's I've, more... I've seen people saying she's off to actually kill Danny now, um, and that's like 
She's definitely at the top of the list of people you would suspect of killing Danny for sure. Right, and that's why they're proclaiming her as death. But isn't uh, that weird? Well, okay, but isn't that weird because that's also kind of like uh, completely undoes the character progress she had this episode, though. Like she's going to go back to pursue to pursue vengeance. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of you know lessens the Hound's speech to her, but also there's this white horse that this child is carrying around this uh-huh. whole episode and yeah. you can see it burnt to a crisp at the end. They yeah, show yeah, yeah. a so close up of it. So what does that say about this horse? I was thinking that like, to me that tells me that this is Arya's chance to reclaim, if not her innocence, like some, some life beyond just her vengeance. Um, I, I thought that the symbolism for it was just like, you know, white is a very pure, a righteous color. It's a, um, uh, it's a peaceful color, um, and that she has chosen a life that she can lead and has some kind of li- actual life to it beyond death versus just pursuing pursuing vengeance unto her own death. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's fine. And like I said, this is like, if, if you're looking for the foreshadowing, like here's the people, like look at the ash falling just like snow, just like we saw in Danny's vision of the undying and... Uh, you know, we saw the dragon shadow just like in Bran's dream and vision. And yes, they did check off all those boxes. But I hope mm-hmm. if you've made it this far, and you probably haven't, if you're the people that hated our take, I hope yeah. at least we've explained why it didn't work for us. And we've used real reasons. And we've talked about it from a thematic and a filmmaking perspective and from a plot and from a character development. And you can disagree with us. But please, please, please don't say this is just because we were disappointed and it didn't end the way we wanted to. Because... Yeah. Gosh, I've wasted an hour and 49 minutes of all of our time, if, if that's the takeaway on that. <laughs> if you're like most people, you have in your home just a single, solitary router desperately trying to pump out bits for your entire house. Unfortunately, this model just doesn't work for our high-bandwidth world. Wi-Fi dead spots and weak signals can cause terrible performance in your favorite games and stuttering and buffering while watching your favorite shows. IT pros have solved this problem for years by deploying a distributed system of multiple overlapping access points at considerable effort and expense. But now with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home faster than Daenerys turns to the dark side. Simply download the Eero app on your iOS or Android device, and it'll walk you through each step of the process. It's quick, easy, and painless, unlike the average death on Game of Thrones. With the Eero system, you get Eero Plus, which is a suite of powerful and automated security tools that offer you total network protection. You can block malicious content across your entire site. It checks the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, keeping you and your family from accidentally visiting a malicious site. It also automatically tags content that is violent, illegal, or adult, giving you control over what your family can access right from the Eero app. It also gets rid of annoying and intrusive ads. They've also partnered with third parties to offer sophisticated VPN services, password management, and antivirus protection. Best of all, Eero updates itself automatically, so you're constantly protected from the latest internet threats. Eero provided me with an Eero base and beacon pair unit to test in my home. My home is nearly 100 years old and has lots of rooms separated by thick plaster and masonry and has been notoriously difficult to get signal throughout the house. I went from unboxing to a fully functional mesh network in less than 20 minutes. I was very impressed with their app that gave specific guidance for placement of the devices and was even able to run a series of self-tests to check the setup and give advice to improve my coverage and speeds. If you want full coverage, high-speed, ultra-secure Wi-Fi network that you never have to think about again, it's easy. 
Eero is offering our listeners $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package with one year of Eero Plus. Just visit Eero.com slash GOT and at checkout enter GOT. Once again, that's Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash GOT and enter GOT at checkout. Here's the scenario for you. It's late on Sunday. You've watched the final episode of Game of Thrones, and you've got to, need to, talk about it with your friends. But how many of you have a ready-made set of buddies that are as knowledgeable and passionate about Thrones as you? That's where we come in. After the final episode airs this Sunday, we'll take to the microphones to discuss the end, which becomes our instant take. But did you know, we also record an extended version live, which features a discussion of the episode with the Bald Move community. The catch is, you have to be a club member to watch, listen, and participate. But it's easy to sign up. Just go to club.baldmove.com where you can see all the premium features club memberships grants. And you can start a free 30-day trial. Join in on the After Thrones conversation at club.baldmove.com. Um, okay, let's go, to, let's go to feedback. What do you think about that, Jim? Uh, can, can you? I think I talked over you. Okay, uh, let's get to feedback. Uh, we still have... Uh, we, we dealt with a lot of feedback in the episode. Also... You know, we got 900 plus pieces of feedback, but like these big episodes, typically they, they kind of cluster. There's definitely a, a curve where people, uh, although it is funny how when you have this division, like all the, the emails take on a strident tone of like, I've got the one valid take of this episode and everyone else is wrong. And there's a lot of people like, uh, you know, with subject lines, you must read this on the air. Like, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> Don't tell me what I must. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I like that just about as much as the people to say, edit this email to be read on the air as you as you wish. I'm like, oh, oh, I get I get <laughs> the, editorial. The, six, the 16 paragraph. Yeah, I get editorial decision on the podcast. That's, that's cool. I'm glad. Um, oh, yeah. All right, Josh L., uh, again, send feedback to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, Josh L., I love the idea of fan bankruptcy, all 11 chapters of it. But now that we've moved further into our fandom destitution, I have some name suggestions, which we asked for on the spoiler edition. Uh, fan foreclosure, devotee default, down and out devotees, audience insolvency, or show skint, which is, I don't know, I've never heard the word skint before. Um, I think it's racist. It uh, <laughs> probably is. It probably is. No, I have no idea. I, I kind of like the idea of insolvency because that says more good. than just bankruptcy, right? That's like, yeah, this is the end of the line. Yeah, I like fan for for foreclosure too. Foreclosure, it's like yeah. bankruptcy, you're taking away their fandom. Bankruptcy, you get to keep your house. Uh-huh. Foreclosing, it's like, nah, you get nothing. You, you, you're you're <laughs> it's yeah. You're, you're gonna have to yeah. go sleep on your dad's couch now because that's good. It also has the the illiterate. But, Alliteracy, the alliteration, the alliteration angle, not the illiteracy. I'm yeah. illiterate, apparently. Yeah, no, I, I like the idea that you had. You're now sleeping on your dad's couch, and he's very disappointed in you. Oh yeah, this is. He told you this was going to happen. You, you, you invest eight seasons in the Game of Thrones, and you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to get your fan foreclosed on, and you didn't listen, and he, and now, now you got to put up with his bullshit. Uh, moving on to Peter G. After the long night episode, I became concerned about how fan bankruptcy was affecting your show. This is most evident after last week's last Stark, where the instant cast is pretty positive. However, the main podcast spends most of its time being critical. What? I thought I thought I was pr- mostly positive on that episode. Okay. Yeah, but I was. So here's the here's the 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 true tea. I wanted to give the show the benefit of the doubt on that last Stark thing because, um, you know, I'm actually trying to be aware of my biases as much as possible. And anytime that the show's zigging where I'm expecting to zagging, I try to account for that. So 
Uh, especially on the instant take, I don't want to come out guns blazing and look like a, a dumbass. So I try to be a little bit more measured. This episode, all like I, I, mean, I talked about this in the instant podcast, but for the first 45 minutes, you and I both, I think, were like rationalizing every single thing we we're watching. Um, but I then think, we got yeah. to Danny and then we got to Euron. We're like, no fucking way, man. Yeah, no fucking me. way. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, guilty as charged, I guess. I found many things about this episode problematic, but it seemed to me like Aaron was so upset that much of his analysis seemed flippant and checked out. Again, guilty as charged. Yeah, I, I mean, we were angry in that moment, certainly. I, I raged quit uh, w- during the Red Wedding when I was reading it. Like it was, it took me a while to come back and be like, okay, I got to reinvest myself in the story because there's still a lot of it left. Um, it's obviously harder to do that on the last chapter than midway through the saga, but. But yeah. that's the what I'm what I'm trying to battle with. I was relieved listening to the spoiler podcast as Aaron very articulately reflected on how close you can be to the material, how it's hard to be a fan and uh, be a re- have a business reliant on that fandom and still keep your perspective. I enjoyed this podcast and its larger perspective. But now we've got the Mad Queen and the Bells. Does it, uh, does anybody find it ironic that because I saw several people calling us out like on our our business angle on this, and I'm like, what do you mean calling? We just us out? said this whole thing is bullshit. Is that what a smart business owner does about the product? Like, <laughs> no, you. It's it's short term the best bet, and this is the shortest of terms. The season it's short term best bet to always love the thing, right? Because right. fans I, are looking to be talked into it. Long term, I've given you my honest opinion on this stuff. Long term, it's 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 not their smart play because people like you know once the spell's broken, then they don't trust you because yeah, you know, like like yeah. here's the thing about bold move, and we've been doing this for eight plus years, going on ten next year (laughs) i don't know that's possible but yes uh we don't we don't we don't calculate we don't triangulate we don't think of what's like as when it comes to our takes we don't think about what's best for business because what's best for business is always to bullshit and blow sunshine up asses and well you know like you said short term yes yeah but long term what's best for business is honesty yes uh trust in your audience uh Especially have, our business where we rely on the generosity and support of our fans that see value in telling it like it is because, yeah, you know. I mean, I, I cannot stress enough, go back and listen to all of like our Walking Dead stuff. Mm-hmm. We were some of the first people to turn on this show yeah. and look where that thing went. Yeah, It went off the fucking rails and every week you've got Chris Hardwick, who is the epitome of short-term business decision apparently. Right spouting off about how great it is and how amazing the decisions are and everybody else is looking at it going what show are you watching yeah and you know that's the thing is like game of thrones got to the end before in my opinion the wheels fell off yes so i agree um you know but but still uh before danny broke the wheels (laughs) it wasn't fall off she just broke them all (laughs) oh no uh all right we we keep on interrupting peter here sorry he's trying to build to point um I agree with you. Uh, I take umbrage at agreeing with me. <laughs> I think the episode has some real problems for sure. However, I don't think it's the worst episode ever. They should have done a much better job. The overall reaction feels, though, like the Red Wedding, which we've discussed already. We're upset. Nothing seems rational. Our theories have been disproved. Opportunities for fan service have been lost. My guess is with Danny now uh, leaving Westeros, when she learns that Varys, Tyrion, Sansa all know Jon's lineage, that that was her final straw. She has no one except Grey Worm to trust. And as she said, she's unloved in Westeros. I think she decided to hell with Westeros, burn them all, and let them always remember and fear the dragons in the east. It'd be ironic if John ends up having to break his oath and kill Danny, something Jamie did and never lived down. And yet the double, D, the double D's say not premeditated. Yeah. 
I mean, like I said, there a lot of the stuff where you lose Sel- Barrist and Selmy, you lose Jora, you lose Missandei, like all of her True Blue there from the beginning fellows have gone by the wayside, and now all she has left are these foreigners that she can't fully trust. Like again, they really did in retrospect a fine job. Like I, it, man, I really wonder if this had seven episodes or eight episodes. Like if they couldn't have clearly they squared the circle for at least some people, I think if they had another beat or two or took the time I, to really sweat out how they could make Danny turn and still, I, I, I just, I just wish they, I just wish they'd done a better, I just wish they'd done a better job. And again, I, it, it is like, you know, Peter, it's like, as you're saying, they should have done a better job for sure. Yeah. This is like the most expensive, most lavishly funded, most everything like HBO would give them everything they wanted. Yeah. They just didn't come up with anything better, and it's a shame. Moving on to Ryan. I was certainly angry after a long night episode. I just couldn't get over how uh, stupid the battle tactics and decisions of the protagonists were. But on a scale perspective, I thought Danny's decision to burn King's Landing was meagerly justified. Every other section of the realm had been burned by this war for succession. Why not the Lannister armies and the citizens of the capital, too? Point of fact, the Lannister armies got fucking torched last season. Um... Certainly they had it coming their way as much as anyone. It's a terrible waste and tragedy, but Danny decided to establish clear dominance over Westeros with fear to make the world fear what she has felt. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, got, they, they, they almost rounded home. They, to me, they got called out. They got thrown out. They didn't, they didn't get to home base. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, that's, the problem is that's a big deal. You get across home base, you score, you get tagged out at the plate, you don't win. It's a very binary thing. You don't mm-hmm. get credit for like, oh gee, they got ninety nine point nine nine of the way to home base. Like, that guy tagged them out by an inch. Do I get seventy five percent of a run? No, you get a lot of the stuff works out. You just don't know if it if you don't get it a hundred percent of the way there. You don't get credit for any of it. Um, he moves on to Jamie and Cersei. The beautifully romantic ending for Cersei and Jamie that no one asked for. Of course, but it was fitting for them. Having had it, I wouldn't wish it for any other way. You ask for empathy for the townsfolk of King Landing, but why not for Cersei and Jamie? Aren't they still human? Terrible as they are. No. Their death was a <laughs> profoundly human moment and a testament to their epic love for one another in this twisted and perverse world that has denied them their love for better or worse. No, I was not rooting for Walter White in the end of Breaking Bad. I am absolutely not sympathetic in any way towards Cersei. No, I agree. I'm sorry. Like, like evil, like, you know, maybe Hitler cried as he poisoned his dog and blew evil brains, uh, brains out. But you know what? Tough luck, partner. Yeah. I wish, I wish, I only wish there was a fucking hell that you could burn in. So... I I recognize that this is a very Game of Thrones to humanize them and show them like to show that moment, but okay, that's yeah, that's but that's and that's you the other thing is so. like if that's the other problem I think that George has ahead of him too. If he ever finishes these books, is maybe you do subvert to the end, but then is it cool to uns- to, to leave your uh, fans dejected and unsatisfied? Like, I guess that's the kind of thing I think can only be judged in retrospect um, over the course of time. I think you need some distance from it. You need to say, okay, what is the story he's trying to tell here? Uh, Was it successful or not? Uh, And you can sort of get away from how you feel about the thing and more Mm -hmm. just like, how did it work um, overall? The trouble here is I don't think they, and I think, like I said, I think in the instant take, 
George has a huge opportunity here. Mm-hmm. He's seen the reaction to what are presumably the outlined bulleted points yeah. of how this thing is going to end. He's seen a poor execution leading up to it. He has the opportunity to be the fucking hero of the day. Yeah, because... Come out with these books, tell this story right, uh-huh. and I am on board with Danny torturing this city. I am on board with Danny becoming the evil mad queen. Yeah, I actually... This is something I was going to say for the spoiler edition, because it's more books, but like I'm actually a little bit more bullish on the books, because I do think that a lot of this is right off of George's bullet points. Like, Danny turning mad queen, and this... The Starks become... The Stark men becoming the rapists and pillagers. Like, this is so fucking Martin... And just with you see just with a few smart, small tweaks that this could be so much, so much better. Mm -hmm. But his challenge is going to be just getting on with it because he the double D started narrowing this world four seasons ago. Martin's still expanding it as of Dance of Dragons. So like he's got to somehow turn that corner and tell this fucking story and hit those beats better. But without continuing to garden up even more and even more. And, and, And that's the thing. But like, yeah, I. If if he was kind of like wincing and seeing how people would react to this story, I think it's very encouraging because like no one's saying it's total bullshit. Like, I wonder the people that have gotten like Khaleesi tattoos and named their daughters Khaleesi. Oh. Like how this feels like it, it's so. Martin's in a really tough position here because he can't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe maybe hold off on the Khaleesi tattoos and children until sure. you see the whole thing, people. Sure, 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 sure. He can't do that, right? Sure. So, but, <laughs> but but like other than those people that have gone that, that crazy, like them. I I don't think there's many people saying just outright there's no way Danny falls to the dark side. So to no, me, that's no. the thing I'm most afraid of. And if I'm getting like thumbs up on that, I just need to finesse it. Uh, to me, this I if if this doesn't get him off the pot and and finishing Winds of Winter, I don't know what the fuck will. No. If we don't get Winds of Winter within a year, I don't think we'll ever get it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Sean has a question. Is the Iron Throne gone? I feel like it's the one constant in the series. It symbolizes quite a bit in the story and even the advertising of the show. It was in the Red Keep, so I'd have to say it's crushed and ruined, but I'm sure the writers will just make it appear next week, unblemished. Will Danny want a new throne? I don't know how much the Red Keep got destroyed. I mean, the whole thing crumbles in on Jamie and Cersei, right? From the foundation up. I can't imagine it's still standing, but they kind of need it to... I, say, I think certain parts of fulfilled. it, certain parts of it probably got crushed, but like, cause there's like all these weird, like standalone towers that are attached yeah, yeah. to it. And which she blasted a couple of those too. So and the other thing is like, if they tell, if, if they can't tell the story of someone getting stabbed in the guts and dying, right. <laughs> then like, I fully believe the red yeah. keep will be 90% undamaged next. I mean, yeah, they told the story of the Dothraki getting annihilated, uh-huh. not decimated, not demimated, not. It just just annihilated and yet there was as many dothraki charging as there ever was in the long night so the show just does that so right. red keep like like yeah the iron throne dying off screen no fucking way i'm gonna i'm gonna say that uh doug l maybe it's the lawyer in me but i spent some time today pondering the events of last night's episode and trying to square the circle that is the danny smash scene I agree that if it's Danny's turn is the product of her madness taking hold, the show didn't really justify it because it never clearly articulated what that last straw that broke the dragon's back was. But perhaps what we saw was not Danny's psyche crumbling, but rather a strategic choice. She finds herself essentially where Rinley Baratheon was, desiring the throne but with no legitimate basis to knock the rightful heir out of the way. 
Renly was, until his death, relying on his relative popularity over Stannis to carry the day with the small folk. Danny correctly susses out that she has only fear, not love at her disposal. Had she accepted King's Landing surrender, we would, she would have won the war, but eventually lost a piece to John once his lineage became common knowledge. And that, thanks to Sansa, is inevitable. Since Danny's only path to the throne goes through the popular and rightful heir, John, she knows the only way to ensure she remains in power after John is at best sidelined and at worst killed is to deter all challengers with an overwhelming show of force. I you, might buy that without the surrender. And also, she has to make this calculation in 30 fucking seconds. Well, like, the, the surrender oh, to me says you have time enough. to try and figure this out. Yeah, yeah. Like, take take a moment. Try and sit down with John after this is all over after the immediate threat is dealt with and figure out if there's a way around his lineage. Cause John clearly does not want this. The one right. thing I believe is true in game of Thrones mm. is that John will never be King. Yeah. So although now I think that's like, I think it's more likely Sansa will be queen. I think huh. Sansa sitting on that throne makes a hell of a lot of sense yeah. because John doesn't want it. John, she has zero claim period. Like wouldn't do you have the same problem but, but, that John, <laughs> Like, if John can't get out of this no matter what, then how is he going to get out of it? If he abdicates the throne and just says, I, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Then who's left? Uh, Gendry I mean, comes swooping yeah, in, I guess. That's what I say. Like, I, now it's like almost like Gendry is in the hot seat. And the other thing is, like, like you have to believe that John is not, is not being honest here. Or maybe this is why the... Because, like, I'm also trying to keep the democracy theory alive. Um, because there's, like, honestly, with only one hour left, it feels like there's no way they're going to have... Like, that we're not ready for a denouement where we see, no. like, how Westeros might continue on. Um, Got to get to because that. Because now I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, yeah, I guess someone's going to sit the Iron Throne. It's going to be, like, Tyrion or Jon or Sansa or something or fucking Braun. Or no, not Bron, Bran. I mean, it won't be John. John has said time and time again, and he's an honorable and truthful man in, to his fucking core. Yeah, but they're also saying that the best king is the one that doesn't want it. But it doesn't matter. John's not uh-huh. going to take it. John, you don't see, you don't see John like at the end of this. Like I, I see John like on the end at the no, because he's throne. king of the north because he had to be. He absolutely had to be to save all of humanity. Where is the threat now? Where is the threat? That's going to push him to, to this kingdom. That if somebody else takes the throne besides him, it's going to plunge the realm into more war. Like, I think that, like, I, I see him sitting on the throne but the way, who? like, old-ass Conan sits on the throne at the end of Conan the Barbarian. Like, he's H- Who's brooding. left who fits that description, though? It's Gen- not Gendry. It's not Sansa. Why? It's not Arya. None of these people are evil. None of these people have this Danny inherent wasn't trait. evil until this episode. Like, what? Like, None of these like people have up, shown even an inkling an of what Danny showed. bastard from Flea Bottom going to sit, going to, going to, going to, going to have sunshine blown up his ass by some highborn lord? Everybody who has had a track record of b- having any potential to do that stuff is already dead. There's nobody in the kingdom left to be evil. They'd have to be evil over the course of years they'd have to turn evil and we don't have time to tell that story john's not going to sit on the throne john doesn't have the pressure that he had when he became the king of the north having a lot of faith that the double d's aren't going to just uh have (laughs) john come in and say yeah that's fair i can't i can't say what butchery they're going to do to his character next you know he'll he'll just (laughs) start barking like a dog and fair and then they'll say oh yeah john was actually always always wanted to be king and in behind the thrones realm uh, season Ghost eight, episode will have six. Come back in the in the off show, and he'll be sitting on the Iron Throne the way Jamie Lannister was when Ned Stark comes in, and that'll be John will see it as a sign. Yeah, like in the first episode, you were the sign that I was a Stark, and now you're conferred. Thank you. <laughs> and then they get the they lick each other's face, and 
Yeah, I said each other's. It's going to get weird. It's going to get weird. You wanted to see I mean, a some, proper goodbye you, to you, you say weird. Yeah. You say weird. Yeah. Uh, people say a lot I of say things. I say Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenny C. Never emailed you guys before, but after listening to your instant take on the bells, I was disappointed to hear how roundly negative your reactions were. Sorry about that. Just being honest. What can I do? I tend to agree with many of the criticisms regarding staging, plot holes, jetpacking, etc., but I do find I'm able to separate the show from the books and accept it as a very simplified version of Martin's vision. I can't help but feel like I watched the worst-case scenario play out before my eyes. I found it devastating, but it was so Game of Thrones. It felt like watching Ned Stark being executed, the Red Wedding, and so much more. I witnessed the, uh, the most absolute devastation possible from just one Targaryen and her dragon. The last thing I wanted to see was for Dany to become the villain, but I feel like it made sense. She was driven to the brink by the death of Rhaegal and the execution of Missandei, but the final nail in the coffin was Jon's rejection. Her love for Jon was her Achilles heel. When she had won the battle and the bells were ringing, I saw a broken woman. Winning was no longer enough. Her decision in that moment came from a very dark place and showed that, like Jon said... If you use those dragons to melt castles and burn cities, you're no different. Ultimately, she is just as bad as Cersei. I don't know. This feels like something George Martin would write. I I agree with you, Jenny, to this point. Like, I, there is nothing that, except for the nail of the coffin being John's rejection, because there's literally like two days between that and there was the scene where Tyrion begged for the mercy for King's Landing, which was granted, and then she wins. And I, that's the, that's the, like, I would like to hear, for the spoiler edition, someone to clearly articulate a through point for that that does not, that that, that actually, that does not rely on a headcanon of how you, that, that explains all those events. Like, I, I I don't know. She, she would have never given that nod if she were not willing to spare these people. Right. And that says to me that it was not premeditated. It was all in that moment and nothing pushed her in that moment. Right. She had the victory in her grasp. Right. And she simply decided not to accept it. And I just don't think it's in her character to no. like, you know what? These King's Landing fucks got off easy. Maybe she does that to Cersei. Maybe mm-hmm. she does that to the entire Red Keep. I'll grant that. And I think that and that's the thing. I don't understand why that's not enough. I don't understand. It's horrible. You know, the other thing it's is a like terrible thing to do. What? Because it's even more poignant. Because like, what if she does that to the Red Keep and it still incites Grey Worm? Like, she wasn't going to burn the civilians, but her own people misinterpret her actions. So then you've got you've got the exact same you got the exact same end game. It just works and, better. And, and you can, I mean, you can they, go Danny's, as far as you want with that. Cersei could have already escaped the Red Keep. It yeah. could have been all for naught, right? Yeah. Like, she's destroyed these innocent people and gotten no, no closer to her goal. Like, right. But her just being, like, just being psychopathic, it doesn't, it does, it's not satisfying to me. Uh, anyway, she continues, my biggest disappointment was Jamie's return to Cersei, uh, but I did hope to see more, I did hope to see a more redemption arc. Um, you know what? I think we're done. I don't think we need to. We, we've talked enough about if she's just going to agree with us on Cersei and Jamie. Let's strike it from the record. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you for that, Ginny. Uh, let's move on to Tarek J. Danny's story has always been one of how far she will take her vengeance and those who have tempered her along the way. At times she went mad, but it was masked by her need for retribution as an audience. I don't know that I agree with that. I would like to, I would like to be given an example of the time she went mad and the only reason we excuse it, is, excuse it is because we agreed with her vengeance. Like, that's like she's either justified or she's not, you know? 
Um, yes, Viserys was an asshole, but she had him executed simply for being an ass and never felt bad about it. Did she? No. There, there were many reasons to have him executed. Yeah. The least of which is selling her off into sexual slavery. And I think that at the the reason she got, uh, she begged for him to be to be spared until he kicked the door in the Cal Drago's, Drogo's house, directly threatened her and her unborn child, and demanded he be taken across the wet, the narrow sea right then and there. Like, mm-hmm. that's not being just an asshole okay like that's committing <laughs> treason an against is the cutting somebody off in traffic and then giving them the finger right it was same for the true of the masters of Korth, young kai the cows and marine i just don't agree all those were very bad people like nazi level bad people the cows the cow oh so she could meekly submit to living in a big tent with all the other crones and being raped to death or she can walk outside and drink like that's not a that's not a moral an immoral choice she made um she slaughtered them not necessarily because they're bad people but because they didn't respect and love her in the way she thought they should Uh, i think there's a tinge of that in some of the things that danny does for sure i will agree that there is a tinge of that because i don't think it's all that it didn't come from nowhere for sure Part of the subversion that A Song of Ice and Fire has given us was telling a fantasy story is that the heroes are flawed, conquerors are fucked up individuals that are not strong enough or that are strong enough to keep challengers at bay. With all the people that have tempered Danny in the past, with Jorah, uh, Selmy Barristan, and Miss Sandy now dead, no one could swear from her worst impulses. Um, is it any surprise things ended up the way they did? Again, except Tyrion, who I thought did sway her from her worst impulse one last time, and then yep. she managed to succeed. So. And no, it's it's again, it's it's not surprising they ended up. It's just there there was one more beat I was waiting for. Yes, um, and it could have been glorious, right? But that's an important beat. That's the difference between um, me. It's it's different than Han Solo shooting first and shooting second. Ah, yeah. Oh man, that's it. Such a good comparison. Like. You like I, if J- Jim pulls a gun out right now and points it at me and I have a gun, I shoot him back. I didn't murder him. <laughs> yeah. I defended my life. And it's just as moral of a cha- choice as letting him kill me. You know, like mm-hmm. <sighs> Danny uh, Thomas C. Um, Danny stated multiple times. So Dan- Thomas is going to try to lay out a, 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 a argument for Danny being a mad queen. Uh, Danny stated many times she's destined to rule. Agreed. She sees her victory as a foregone conclusion. Agreed. The steadfast belief in victory causes her to see all of her setbacks as caused by her enemies. Agreed. She sees the devotion the freed slaves have to those that freed them as devotion to her because of her destiny and moral superiority. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. This causes her to see the distrust of the northerners as treason. Yep. This causes her to see the failure of the people of King's Landing to take the city for her like the slaves did at Marine as treason. Okay, this what, is what where fa- I'm starting what to. This is where I'm starting to. What? what? Wait, what failure? The failure of the people at King's Landing to take the city for her. Wait, what failure? The pa- the the failure of people. <laughs> Wait, what failure? <laughs> the, the, am I wrong? The bells were ringing. The people of King's Landing did take the city yeah, for her. Yeah, here's the other thing: is you're acting like <laughs> the people of Marine, like some of these things, like Danny had built up a history of of freeing these people, like. First, she tricked the masters of Astapor and burnt them with their dragons and stole the armies. Then she broke in in secret and killed all the, like, security and flung open the gates and the people did the... Like, they... She didn't just camp outside the fucking 
walls and say, free yourselves. Like, there was help and assistance and an understanding that she was there to save them, not, oh, Jesus Christ, this woman's got giant dragons. She's going to kill us all. Um, yeah, all right. you have to show that the enslavers are vulnerable before the slaves can rise up against them. So we're, we're already button heads here, Thomas. Let's, yeah. let's see how we go here. Um, John cannot have a claim because she is destined to rule, so the claim is a lie. I don't think that's in the text that Danny thinks that this is bullshit. I think that's her first reaction, but like I think that she believes that John is telling the truth. Do you think that Danny thinks this is no. a lie? No, no, no. I mean, okay. if she d- did think it was a lie, she would have no problem with this secret getting out. So here's the here's where I think the head can is starting to spin out of control. In my opinion, Thomas. Uh, she thinks that John is being tricked by Sansa, Bran, and Sam. She's already declared the Tarleys as her enemy, and she will never believe his word. But she I, does believe the word. When she, when Sam, she wouldn't care about this secret that isn't isn't true. Like when she found out that Sam was a Tarly, she felt guilt. She kind of felt guilty and embarrassed. Like again, her first reaction was like, "Oh, that's bullshit." Oh, he would say that he's. I don't know. Like some of the stuff feels like. No, I think they played that beat where she's like, "Can, can you really?" trust it's you your, know your best friend your brother, and your brother. And your best friend yeah but but then everything after that this is the show not tell part of it everything that she does after that says she believes this claim is real and she's got to fight back against it and if it gets out to the people of the kingdom they will support john instead of her because he has a better claim that's ev- all of that is on the screen uh john knows that it's true so he does not support her in keeping a secret she believes this is so obvious a lie that the only reason john could have to spread this is treason I, I to me like I think you're right in that she sees John spreading it as treason, but um, it's it's it, like hmm. it's it's not because it's a lie. It's because he she saw it as an inevitable outcome to his action, and he couldn't lie to his family. Yes, so it's a slight difference there, but I think it's going to be a, a huge difference in where you build up to your 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 idea here. Varys conspires to crown John due to his claim, a claim she believes is a lie. He gets dracarist, okay? She seriously su- suspects Tyrion as a traitor now, especially after he told Varys the lie about John's claim. Yep. She gives him one more chance and listens to his begging to call off the attack if she hears the bells of the city. Later, Tyrion fills, frees Jamie. She's already declared Jamie a traitor. Jamie is freed at night, and the battle happens in the morning. She knows Tyrion freed his brother, and now she sees Tyrion as a traitor too. Why would she know that? Yeah, That's I'm not say, on the screen this is anywhere. Not That's headcanon, man. This is an assumption that you are making. Making, yep. And we don't know how late at night Jamie that the Tyrion visited all this. Like, this is all in your head. This is not on the screen. So when she hears the bells, a part <laughs> of a plan from someone she now sees as a traitor, she feels justified ignoring the plan. A seeming lack of resistance of the people of the King's Landing to stop Cersei tells her that they support Cersei and they stop seeing the population of King's Landing as innocents. They're her enemy now. So... Nah. And he concludes Sorry. this is well supported by the series. I I think I just per, like showed three or four instances where you are making perhaps logical inferences, but things that are not in the script, they're not on the screen. They're things that you are injecting to make this headcanon work, which is fine. If I I'm I'm fine with putting headcanon in there to like explain things that are working, but it's just not working for me. So I'm not extending them that that benefit. Um. 
moving on, Sean D. Regarding Jon Snow, what's the point of having an annoying paladin character if he's just going to make his self-righteous opinion heard all the time, except when we actually need to hear it? Did he say more than two lines in this episode? And his best throaty Jon Snow bro, we got a, she is my queen, and don't rape that girl. Even if it was ultimately turned down by Danny, a real protest from Jon reminding her about her true goals would have moved the emotional needle for me. Yeah, honestly, I would love to hear of her, John and, and Danny themselves talking about the fact that she's his aunt, because it seems like that's the thing that's broken down their relationship. And for yeah, them all to he have can do it, is just say, you're my queen, you're my queen, you're my queen to have an honest conversation about how this has changed and how like just to talk this through like something, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, how many like how many Skylar Walter White? back and forth did we see and the nature of their relationship changed over is it asking too much to have one of those conversations about how this not affects her political chances but how it affects how john feels her and how she feels about john um okay connor was i alone in getting serious highlander vibes in the bowl that was promised visually with the hound in the mountain battling out on the spire at the broken outer wall danny swooping in on drogon in the background giving the sky visible from the spire this ethereal glow of oranges and purples reminded so much of the kurgan battle in highlander uh when the sean connery the bites the dust huh oh no okay. yeah 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 did you pick up on any of this i mean Mm-mm. i wasn't thinking highlander but sure why not yeah nola p I wrote in last week complaining that, Sir, that Jamie had fucked and chucked Brienne, which t- felt totally out of character. You thoughtfully said to wait and see what happened this episode because Jamie may be going to kill Cersei. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> now that we know that he genuinely left the North to return to Cersei's side, how do you judge a storyline with Brienne? We haven't... Okay. She's we haven't the, talked about yeah, this aspect of it. The biggest victim here. I think it's completely pointless. Jamie's relationship with Brienne was among the show's most beautiful and subtle for years, and suddenly the writers took a sledgehammer to it. They had Jamie treat Brienne like dirt, taking her virginity, then ditching her the next day. Then made it clear in this episode that he's all about Cersei and Cersei alone. Yeah, dude, or lady. Uh, I. Jamie goes and kills Cersei, and he dies, and it gets back to Brienne like that that doesn't devastate her because I think she pits, puts two and two together and figures it out here. She's just going to hurt the, no, the man that she loved, the man that took her virginity, the man that knighted her, the man that she had turned from thinking he's a monster and a Kingslayer and an oath breaker to this paragon of virtue. And it's so no, no, he's just a shitter. You were knighted by one of the worst fucking. You were you were knighted by a drug addict whose addict whose drug of choice was fucking Cersei Lannister. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it does injustice to Brienne as an intelligent woman. It does injustice to Jaime uh, as. I don't think a it does. noble. I, I don't a think it noble does, knight. It doesn't it, hurt Brienne's character because she's blameless. She had no yeah, way I to agree. predict that this was going to happen. Yeah, that, okay, that's fair. Um, but but it man, it just fucks everything about that relationship that I thought was beautiful. And, yeah, it's a real bummer and, and exciting for Brienne as a character. And and what it does to Jamie is potentially even worse. And, I'm like I'm like Cersei below the Red Keep. Like uh, I I always wanted to be a Brienne Jamie sh- shipper, but not like this. Not like this. <laughs> Please, I, Jamie, I, I, don't I, let this relationship die like this. Yeah. Save it. Save it, Jamie. He's not gonna. He got rubbled. Moving on. Final email. Ernest T. 
I know Aaron wrote a couple of books on the religions of Westeros, but do we have any material on the mythical creatures of Westeros? As I saw Drogon light up King's Landing, I couldn't help but wonder if he was going to ever run out of fuel. It seemed like he had an endless supply. I know this is very trivial considering what happened in this episode, but it bugged the crap out of me, especially on rewatch. Now I'm curious if Dragon Anatomy has been explored anywhere else in the fantasy literature. Just curious what your thoughts are. I mean, in this series, dragons are fire-made flesh, and they are... Magic, almost demigod kind of magical beings. Um, yeah. And thus, they're kind of exempt from the laws of thermodynamics. So it it bothered me a little bit in like, you know, like, gee whiz, this guy seems like he's got infinite info or uh, ammo. Where is all this? Where is all this fire coming from? But it's magic. So I think there there's a the chemical process is akin to like a fusion reactor where the mm-hmm. amount of energy output is sort of on that scale with the mass that you input yeah to where and they have these dragons have abnormally large abdomens i assume it's all just sacks of chemicals that combine no they're full of hydrogen they're full that's how they fly too right right so every time they they shoot fire they get a little bit heavier yeah uh, or they get a little bit lower it's harder to fly right they they lose all that hydrogen inside them but Uh, all that charred goat and and varus meat um they just break that down into hydrogen Okay. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, they, they, and, and oxygen. They, mm-hmm. they, they, the human body and assume, presumably goat bodies too are three quarters water. That's nothing but hydrogen and oxygen. You put those together. That's, that's, that's a fuel and an accelerant. what we, what we say in the fire starting business. So the dragon math checks out on this. Yeah. They, they also have the added bonus of if you get enough dragons on the planet, you don't need plants anymore because they just yeah. process water into oxygen. And yeah. who needs that? That, carbon dioxide stuff so we still have another podcast uh-huh. um, i encourage everyone because i i you know i i tried to articulate her points i tried to consider some i thought reasonable points from the 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 people that are not seeing it our way we can continue talking about that because i would love to be talked into this making sense um we can also talk and on friday like you know uh what this means for the books like what this means for george martin it'd be interesting if george has something to say um like it, it because he said he hasn't really commented since like the death of Shireen. Uh, and maybe that's like, you know, he, he made that statement of like, well, the books are going to be different from the series and, and he doesn't have to revisit that. But it'd be interesting to see if he has says something in the in the days to come. I'd be interested to see if you guys have something to say, um, because that's the other thing we're talking about, uh, you know, our business incentive. Um, you know, I wrote books that probably had done a lot better had Game of Thrones be universally beloved in, in the end. They'd have a much fatter tale. But also, uh, my writing partner, Anthony, like, we both had, like, two fan theories that we kind of, like, uh, you kind of wrote up, especially for the book. I did my Democracy in Westeros. He actually did something to surprise me, which was a, a an argument for Danny turning into the Mad King, Queen. Um, so it's like... It actually, uh, if if they had told that story, like, God damn, that would have looked like a genius fucking prediction and really well argued and sourced and not just from the tomes, but from like, you know, uh, like like the, the, the political and religious history that, that, that George is, uh, is, is, is drawing from. It would have been just 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 dandy if they had told the story correctly uh, or or one that like and it's not just me that's the other thing like if it was just me and jim and like 90 percent of people were like oh you guys are fucking stupid and you weren't watching the episode i'd feel better about it but 
It's only like 40% of people telling me that online. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I just, I, if I, I don't know if this is going to be a Sopranos or more of like a Lost or more of, um, I'm trying to think of one, uh, like, a, like a Walking Dead where more and more people like wake up to the idea that there, there was some problems here all along. I, I don't know, but that's yeah. Just I mean, enough. I want to see next episode. I want to see what they do. Um, I'm prepared to come back and sort of judge this season quickly. Yeah. Uh, after the fact, and yeah. You know, I, I don't think they can do anything to salvage this episode. No. And potentially not even the entire end of Game of Thrones. I think they can give some characters some good moments from here on out. Yeah. I'm really seeing, I, honestly, I really want to see the bittersweet. I've seen the bitter, and like, if, oh, this, if you have yeah. to go back to like early episode four to get any sweet, like, oh, well, you know what? Sam got Gilly pregnant. They're probably going to be happy. Uh huh. Ghost got to live out a happy life with Tormund Ghost got in the to north. Be the, his his best boy, good boy pupper up with Tormund. Like ah, I don't know if that's what I consider because this is so far just really dark and bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about it on the spoiler edition on Friday. Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. If you'd like to get that feedback in. Um, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>